Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Three and two, two outs, two on. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. The Phillies' season on life support as the Braves take game one of this three-game series. It pushes the Phillies to three and a half games out in the National League East with only five games left to play as the Braves... Keep the Phil's offense down and win game one, two to one. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. That was Scott Fransky with the call right here on WIP. Uh, as the Phillies lose the Braves, well, is that a little new return music, Mike, or was that a, kind of an editorial choice on your part? Uh, that's the Beastie Boys, correct? Yeah, good How job. That? There we go. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, I just opted for a longer bed. Went with one of my Eagles ones because oh, okay. wanted to have it fit with the highlight. Nice. Nicely done. Nice work on your part. Good producing. Um, but that was the Phillies' final out as they fall to the Braves 2-1 to one in Atlanta on Tuesday night. And with that, um, game one of the Phillies' three-game set in the books in this very critical series and plenty of stuff we'll get to throughout the course of the show tonight we'll deal with more of the fallout from monday night football uh we'll get to the ben simmons situation a little later on as well as i told john we have dave uram coming in at 4 a.m but we'll start with the phillies here as they do lose game one of this series a game that they obviously needed to win as we headed into this series we knew the situation we knew that the phillies uh, were in a pretty dire situation right now where they needed all of these games. The way Sunday went down, uh, you know, Braves win, Phillies lose. That puts them two and a half back after a weekend where it looked like they were setting themselves in a up for a pretty nice situation where you go down to Atlanta, you're not under all of this pressure. If you win two out of three, you might be in a good spot. But obviously, 
That didn't end up being the case as Sunday did not go the Phil's way. And once they fell two and a half back coming into the series, you knew at that moment that their only real legitimate chance to win this division was to go down to Atlanta and sweep the Braves in this series. Winning two out of three really doesn't do a, a ton for you at this point. You know, it gets you to a game and a half back going into the week, uh, going into the weekend, where you would still need a ton of help from two dead teams in the Mets and the Rockies, while you would need to win three in Miami yourself, which is highly unlikely. We know how much the Phillies struggle with the Marlins, especially down in Miami. And once they fell two and a half back, realistically, the only real chance was to go to Atlanta and sweep this series. And the Phillies come out, and make no mistake, this game was lost very early on. And I'll take you to the top of the first inning to start out here, where, as I told John, I was actually excited for this game tonight, and it's been hard for me to get excited about watching Phillies baseball this year. And, you know, I, I, I go for a little evening jog. Uh, I get back. I, I, you know, shower up, get all settled down on the couch to watch this game at 720. And it gets off to a beautiful start. Odubel Herrera base hit. Gene Segura base hit. Phils have two men on with nobody out. And a real good opportunity. Bryce Harper grounds out, but is able to beat it out on the way to first. So preventing, prevents the double play. Then... Um, up comes good old sign JT hashtag sign JT, who has come up small in many situations this year. JT real Muto comes up small with runners on the quarters and one out. He strikes out Brad Miller comes to the plate with two men on. And here's how it went down the top of the first. And the one, one pitch Miller hits one on the ground, right side. Albies to his left. He gobbles it up. Throws to first, and the Phillies fail to score here in their half of the first. No runs, couple of hits, two men left stranded, and we're going to the bottom of the first. Zach Wheeler heads to the mound. It's the Phillies, nothing, and the Braves coming up. And that was really it right there. Like, you knew coming into this series, coming into this, this game, you needed to set a tone early on. And the Phillies had a, had a chance to jump out on top early with Zach Wheeler on the mound. Uh, you know, give themselves a little room for error, which whether it's throughout the course of the season with their schedule, whether it is in individual games, they haven't given themselves room for error. And when you blow that opportunity, it just set a bad tone from the start. They get another chance in the third where Charlie Morton, who dominated them much of the night, walked a couple guys, two guys on two outs. You're unable to score there. The Braves able to put up two runs in the third. And the offense really didn't do anything the rest of the way. In the ninth, they have an opportunity. Bryce Harper, a really good at bat to walk to start the inning. They get a break where after Real Muto makes another out, um, Matt Veerling hits one deep to left, goes off the left fielder's glove, really a, a terrible play um, by, by the outfielder. And you have second and third one out. Another opportunity, um, D.D. Gregorius lines out the deep right. Actually not a bad at bat, hit the ball pretty well, um, so can't really kill them there. And then uh, Freddie Galvis comes to the plate with an opportunity. The game-tying run 90 feet away, strikes out, 
and the ball game is over, and the Phillies fall 2-1, to one, as you heard, to open the show. And this pretty much puts the capper on an extremely frustrating season for this team. One in which, you know, they had opportunities, and in a lot of ways, this game was somewhat of a microcosm for this season, where they had opportunities, they had chances, the Braves let them hang around in this game, just like they hadn't let them hang around in the divisional year, and the Phillies could not take advantage. And, you know, it's for a variety of reasons. When you look at this season, obviously, we know about the bullpen. And all the blown blown leads that they've had throughout the course of the year. We know about that, but it's not just the bullpen that is the reason this team is in the position they are in, which is, you know, barring a miracle, missing the playoffs for the 10th consecutive season. It's much deeper than that. You know, it's Aaron Nola killed you this year. You know, the manager stunk in so many situations where you look at some of these blown leads and some of these situations where you're not able to hold on to saves. I mean, Joe Girardi is responsible partially for that. It's not all the guys in the bullpen. It's the fact that Joe Girardi in certain situations didn't put the right guy on the mound in the right spot. And that ends up having an effect. You know, you look at, uh, you know, uh, not just some of those leads, but, but, Terrible choices that have been made. There are nights like tonight where this team that is built on offense and the offense let you down in a major way. Like this is a team that was built with the premise that they are going to outscore their opponents. Tonight is a game where you need your offense to step up. Zach Wheeler is out there. He is pitching like an ace. Zach Wheeler um, should not be faulted at all for his effort tonight. I thought he was tremendous. Uh, held the Braves to two, was really pretty dominant a lot of this game, but the offense, this offense that you were paying a lot of money, whether it's Harper, Real Muto, Segura, Didi, all of these guys couldn't come through when you really needed them to. And, like, I don't know exactly how to correct it, But the Phillies must make major changes because it all comes back to really the same thing we've been talking about throughout the course of the year. This core, this team, the way it's assembled, is just not good enough. And, like, they've tried over the last couple years the tweak thing here. You know, uh, after 2019, the last two off-seasons, they've tried to tweak it. They've tried to fix the bullpen. They've tried to bring in a starter like a Zach Wheeler. But your team is is just further away than making a couple small moves. You know, there is a systemic problem as to why you continue to falter down the stretch of seasons. There's a, a, a major issue when you don't have a winning season in how many years. And if the Phillies end up you know, having a, a an above 500 record this year, if they come out and sell try to sell us on that, that, oh, well, we were above 500 this year, uh, I would be incredibly bothered by that. Would you Would you buy that at all, Mike? If they, Can you see it, by the way? Can you see money bags coming out in a couple weeks? Well, you know, we won 84 games this year. We we're above 500. We're making progress. And that's the, 
fight McCutcheon on one leg, and which you know, by the way, it's your fault. You didn't have to sign him to a three-year deal, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like, and you know, and you know, JT hurts again. You kind of put yourself in the bad spot with that one. JT's not like he's he's not worth what they gave him. Like maybe they shouldn't have listened to the fans and signed hey, JT. Hey, but Tom, in that fifth year, yeah. you can you can be DH. That's true. That's true. And hey, what were they supposed to do? I mean, b- b- the real GMs down in the field yelling up to the the box, sign JT. I mean, wh- what are they going to do? Bryce told them to sign him. They got to sign him. You got to do what Bryce tells them to do. But the core of this team is just not good enough and it's not going to be. And, you know, I guess we have plenty of time for the Phillies post-mortem and we don't need to do, you know, uh, uh, a this all night as far as where this team is and we we got a lot of other stuff to get to but you know this season is over like there's no doubt about it they're not winning the division a miracle is not coming honestly i wouldn't be surprised if they just lay down now and 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 get swept in this series and even more annoying wouldn't it be irritating now if noel comes out and pitches a gem tomorrow night like i, I and it, it wouldn't shock me if that were to happen as so many games you need him and he doesn't step up now that everything's kind of meaningless, it would not shock me if Noel comes out and just like dominates the Braves tomorrow night, but it, it's too late. Start too late. I'm trying to look up for you. I wonder what uh, Nola's numbers are in games where the season's basically on the line. It can't be good. No, right. Like it's like, yeah. Like how bad is it? I know the two starts last year weren't good. The one in Washington and then the one in Tampa on the final day of the season. Well, he's been the losing pitcher the last two games, uh, the last two seasons in which they've been mathematically eliminated. I maybe even more back. I, I know it definitely for sure the last two seasons. Okay, uh, not not necessarily surprising. Um, but I want to know to start the show. What do you think the Phillies need to do to change the direction of this franchise? Because they they need to change the direction of the way things are headed. Things are not going to get turned around by just making minor moves. And we'll get more into that coming up here. But this is 10 years. Like, this is a major point of demarcation here. Where you have gone a decade without making the postseason. You were the only team in the National League that has gone that long. And the National League has some perennially bad teams. You're talking about the Marlins, the Reds, the Pirates. I, I I must have blacked out these years the Pirates actually went to the playoffs because I cannot remember it. Uh, I guess I just wasn't really paying attention to base. This was like the Ben Revere era, right? So I probably just wasn't. Oh, it paying. sure was. Probably perfect. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you remember McCutcheon winning an MVP? Yes, I do. But I, I guess I, I thought that was, yeah, I guess it yeah. wouldn't have been earlier because that's when the Phillies were dominating. Yeah, I actually think McCutcheon's played in three wildcard games. I just four, cannot, four wildcard games. Yeah, I just can't remember watching the Pirates in the playoffs anytime recently. It was that game Johnny Cueto dropped the ball? Don't remember it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I just don't remember that. Um, but, you know, so many bad teams in this in this league, and the Phillies are the one that has not gone to the playoffs in a decade. And I want to know, how do you believe... It gets corrected here, and we'll talk about it a little more coming up because I, I do think there's an organizational issue that needs to be corrected as far as the the mindset more than anything. And this team needs to start dealing in reality, in my opinion, more than anything else because they kind of live in their own reality where they see things a certain way. Uh, they, they believe what they want to believe, but they need to come to terms with the fact that 
you're just not good enough. Your core's not good enough, and it's not going to be good enough as long as you continue to operate the way you've been operating. Uh, so I want to know, what do you think the Phillies need to do to change the direction of this franchise moving forward as, you know, not mathematically, but essentially they were eliminated from playoff contention on Tuesday night. Uh, I will congratulate the Atlanta Braves on their 2021 NL East title begrudgingly. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, uh, we'll talk a little more fills when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Do have a social media gripe coming up in the next segment here. And I I I want to run this one by you, Mike, that I threw out there the other night when Dan Wilson was producing. And I know Dan is, is around right now. Um, and this is one that, that has kind of bothered me uh, at the end of seasons and stuff with, with uh, media members where uh, they will tweet out the end of the year. And, and, you know, I'm fine with whether it's a writer, whether it's a, you know, I don't whatever some anybody does any sort of content whatever where you will you know thank your people who followed along or read your work or watch what you've uh-huh. done throughout the course of the season i'm fine with that but when people make it so incredibly over the top you know like well this like is a, this is another uh, another chapter completed in my journey and it's, it, it's just another season. Like you're not getting laid off. Well, that's what I mean. It's just like people making it so over the top and another chapter is completed of my, you know, journey in this, in this business. And they make it so about themselves and, and, and over the top. Do you, do you, would you agree with that? That's a little annoying when, when you know, like I, I get thanking people for mm. following along with your work and, and paying attention to what you're doing. But when you make it just so about yourself and gushing over, you know, th- that to me is a little bothersome. Well, now I know that when Eagle season ends, I'm going to have to uh, fire up an Insta post of my pick, take a picture of this board and see another season, another chapter in the books for me. Well, that's what I mean. Like we're meat and potatoes, guys. Like I'm not, you know, the other day yeah. when I uh, when I walked out of the booth on Sunday, I didn't. I didn't snap a photo you didn't cherish it from the radio booth and say what, you know, and it was, you know, I'm, I'm very gracious to the Phillies for, uh, you know, hiring me and let me do that, but I'm not going to, you know, send out a post about what an amazing honor and, and, you know, what th- this incredible experience that has been life changing. I think it's, yeah, it's just a little over the top when you, when you do something like that. Yeah. And I'm not saying my way is right or like art, like, whatever this way is right. right i'm just saying like this is my approach is that you know it's just we're supposed to be like kind of black and white about it and like just do the job get in get out not like kind of like make it a thing of like where we like romanticize the job and like make it like you know make it seem like there's a little like i don't know like because it's not a t- it's just like this is a vehicle for like what we're doing right and i'm not even saying i'm i'm right like it that and that's why it's you know my my gripe like yeah. maybe i'm maybe i am wrong maybe the majority of people disagree with me um but you know that's the way that's the way i felt feel about it i will not i will not and uh, speaking of dan i forgot that dan had buzz. um dan what's that buzz <laughs> buzz i'm not i don't get it it's you know some folks call him Buzz. Why? Next time he produces, you you know if he can if he wants to explore that he can. Okay, I didn't know this was some secret or something. But but no, Dan had said something about he had posted when he was hired here, and I never got the exact tweet. Uh, so I don't know if if Dan wants to wants to give that tweet. We can, we can judge his we can judge his uh his his tweet from when he was hired. And judge whether that's gripe worthy, because Dan had mentioned that too. We it came up during the gripe. I, I forgot to get back to it that night. 
Uh, but we can we can judge it if you can uh, if you can find that at some point. We'll we'll do that. We'll we'll do that uh, at some point. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. But as you look at the Phillies here and moving forward, I think one of the biggest problems that they face right now, and one of the biggest problems that they need to address is they need to stop lying to themselves. Like, I think that's one of, been one of the biggest problems for them over the course of the last few years when they've consistently had these failures. And, you know, they're, they're trying to rectify things is they are not dealing in reality. And they are not, you know, telling themselves the truth about the situation that they're in. And, you know, I'm not saying they need to necessarily completely tear this down and trade, you know, Harper and Wheeler and get rid of every player value that you do have. But everything would be on the table. And to me, the biggest problem with this organization is the delusion that exists within it. You know, whether that is scapegoating Gabe Kapler in 2019 whether it's scapegoating the bullpen in 2020, that's not it. Like, these little small things are not representative of the bigger problem. You know, your organization is flawed, and they refuse to admit it. The core isn't good enough. And just like September, the two things that the Phillies said all year, and, you know, whether it's some of the players, some of the coaches— the two things that they said all year as they were struggling, all year through the All-Star break, through the trade deadline, was weak schedule at the end of the year, weak schedule at the end of August into September, and just give us a chance as we go down to Atlanta. And you couldn't take advantage of the schedule. And in Game 1, in a series you need to sweep, you couldn't take advantage of what happened in Atlanta. And so much of it, and I know a lot of people look at the bullpen and blame the bullpen and 34 blown saves. How are you going to overcome that? First of all, not all those saves are coming in the ninth inning. These are, what, sixth inning and later is how you uh, classify a blown save. It's not just the bullpen, guys. The manager's involved in that, and the offense is involved in that. Like, a lot of these games are games in which you're scoring two runs, when you should be scoring four or five runs. Because that's where your money's tied up in. And the offense with this team has not been good enough. And here was Ricky Batalico first after the game, you know, talking about the offense once again coming up small. The Phillies couldn't hit Joe Schmo from the Pirates the other day. Oh, what what makes you Max think? Kranich. What, what, that what, is Max Cranick. Go ahead. What, whatever his name was, they couldn't hit him either. They, yeah, all right. and, and I know a, a lot of people will watch this and say, well, we know what Girardi's going to come on and say, that, you know, the pitcher had really good stuff and he really stuck it to us tonight. But I've heard that all season long. So, I mean, this doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, and it's not surprising. And that's why I knew. And you can tell what kind of night this offense is going to have typically from what they're doing early in games. They get a couple hits early. They have an opportunity. And then they can't take advantage of. And that was really frustrating to see. Uh, here was more. This was Ruben Amaro talking about the offense struggling. 
It's a team that's very, very inconsistent at the plate. They had one great run early in August where they were hitting the ball in the middle of the field, consistent, uh, doing the things they needed to do to make contact and, and to create runs. But that's, that was a very, very short period of time. This is not a well-balanced lineup, and they just don't make enough contact and make the big base hits when they have to, when they have to make them. It's not, and, and they're not good enough. And once again, they came up small in a big spot. And like Ricky Bo said, you know, you're waiting for Joe Girardi after the game, and Joe Girardi said pretty much what you expect him to say. I mean, I don't think it's really, you know, it's frustrating. I don't think it's deflating. It's frustrating for us because um, we had a chance to get to him early. And I think when we've beaten him, we've got to him early a lot of times. But we weren't able to do it, and the guys kept trying to put good at bats, grinding out at bats. And, um, you know, like I said, we came up a little short. And it wasn't from lack of hitting the ball hard. It was lack of hitting it right at him, not finding some holes. And that, like, again, that's just not dealing in reality. The Phillies weren't hitting a ton of balls hard tonight. Like, they weren't hitting balls hard right at guys. Okay, they did in the ninth inning. But what about the first eight innings? I'm listening to the broadcast, and I hear Kevin Franzen say, in, like, the seventh or eighth, they've hit three balls over 90 miles per hour in this game. That's not hitting the ball hard and, you know, not finding holes. And, by the way, there was a weird sound in that. In that clip, did you hear that one? There's like a gurgling sound. <laughs> no, I missed the gurgling. You want to play it? Play it? Play it again, real quick. I want to see if you pick up on this. I, I mean, know. I don't think it's really. You know, it's frustrating. I don't think it's deflating. It's frustrating for us because um, we had a chance to get to him early, and I think when we've beaten him, we've got to him early a lot of times, but we weren't able to do it. And the guys kept trying to put good at bats, grinding out at bats, and um, you know, like I said, we came up a little short, and it wasn't from lack of hitting the ball hard. It was. Lack of hitting it right at him, not finding some holes. Was that Joe's stomach? Like, what was that? You know, it kind of sounded like, um, like a landline, like moving. You ever be on like on the line with somebody who's like clearly on a landline and like the you hear cackling? Yeah, yeah, that was just it was just odd. It just, sorry, it just uh, threw me off a little bit. No apologies necessary. Yeah, but here's uh, more from Girardi uh, talking about what the team needs to do going into tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you just got to keep grinding. I mean, that's all you can do. Uh, you, you, you know, I know I say it, you got to find a way to win tomorrow, and then we got to go from there. And obviously, we need some help now, but we got to go out and play a good game. We need a good game out of NOLA and need to score some runs. And, I mean, it, it, again, Girardi can say that, but in my mind, it's too late. Like, it's just too late for this team. Like, you needed to sweep this series, and you didn't get it done, and they only have themselves to blame here. And, again, this is why you got to leave yourself a little wiggle room. And this is the biggest problem with the Phillies, where they didn't leave themselves any room for error here. And this is why you can't blow games. Like, you can't lose three in Arizona. You can't lose two of three in Pittsburgh. You know, you can't lose three of four at home to a bad Rockies team in September because it does make all of these games so critical. And you do need to win every single one. And as far as Girardi goes, like, I'm not naive enough to say that he is responsible for all of this. We know that's not true. It's the same mistake that the Phillies made in 2019 is they folded Gabe Kapler for every problem that the team had. It's not all Girardi's fault, yet Joe Girardi 
if he was the manager that we thought he was, the manager that we were sold he was coming in, he should have enough of an impact where you are not losing those kind of games consistently. You know, you're going to have some series against bad teams where you just don't show up and you lose. But when it happens so consistency, consistently, that is a problem. And some of it has to go back to the job Girardi has done as a manager this year. And I think that's really the first big question the Phillies are going to have to answer. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff they need to figure out with the roster, but they need to figure out what they're going to do with this manager. And, uh, you know, Dave Dombrowski is is going to have a decision to make, and really John Middleton is going to have a decision to make at the end of the year. But uh, I wanted to play some of this for you. First here is Dave Dombrowski on what he thinks of Girardi uh, as a manager as they evaluate his status. Well, Joe's a good manager. I don't think this is the time of year you start summarizing. Uh, we still have some more games to be played. So, But I'm very happy with Joe Girardi and the job that he's done. And so we're in a position where uh, he's guided us well during the year and don't see why he wouldn't continue to do so. And, you know, the Phillies are going to have a decision to make in regards to Girardi and whether he is going to uh, return next year. And I want to know, do you believe Joe Girardi should be back next season as Phillies manager? I don't know how you can do it. Like, I, I just don't know how you can sell bringing back Joe Girardi after this team collapsed once again. I think in a more embarrassing fashion because of how bad the division was, because of how winnable the division was. And a good manager should give you an advantage in that sort of situation, in this kind of tight race. And when you look at, you know, aspects of decisions he's made during games, things that just don't make sense, going to certain relievers at certain times, conceding in games way too early, which was a theme all year long, was a theme in April, and he was still doing it in mid to late September. You know, it's a problem. And is Joe Girardi responsible for everything? Of course not. But he had a bad year. And I I do not think he should return as Philly's manager next season. Want to know what your thoughts are on Joe Girardi and whether you think uh, he deserves another year uh, to come back and, and try to correct this. Uh, I, I I don't think so. I, I don't think he's done a good enough job. I think he's responsible um, in part for this team's failures. Uh, and in such a close race, a good manager should be able to give you the edge in these kind of situations. Joe Girardi didn't give the Phillies any edge. Um, I think he had a subpar year, and I think he hurt the team much more than he helped them. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, uh, you know, if you want to continue discussing the Phillies, we will talk Phillies. We will get to the Eagles, though, and the Ben Simmons situation coming up as well. So a lot to get to. I also have my social media gripe of the day coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. On the Big Daddy Graham show here, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. I do need to apologize to my son. I did not post yesterday for National Son's Day. So, um, in, in, in my first National Son's Day, I did not post. I'm sure uh, my son is very upset about it. You're right so on brand. I'll need to apologize to him. Uh, turns uh, seven months on uh, Saturday, so I'll have to apologize to him for uh, not giving him a little shout-out on social media uh, yesterday, uh, as I saw several people do uh, for their own sons. Um, but I'll get to my social media gripe in a second. Mike, do you have a ruling on Dan's tweet from a, a few years ago, I or, or I guess this year? Yeah, Dan got hired some point this year, I believe. Well, let's see the timestamp on Buzz's hiring. It was December 12th. <laughs> Buzz. <laughs> December twelfth, last year. December twelfth. Well, what's the uh, what's the verdict here? What's the ruling? So this is uh, this is not quite what you're describing. This isn't him turning the page on a chapter, you know. That's or one, you know, one year chapter. This is just him kind of. This is actually him quite literally starting a chapter, starting point of a chapter. So you know whether you're into whether that's uh, something that'll. Is gripe worthy or you're not? It's a different question. Right. I'm just the ruling is this is separate from the current gripe at issue. Okay. Okay. So so the ruling is not not applicable. Yeah. I guess. And okay. so to I guess to lend credibility to um my calling him Buzz, there are people in the mentions saying, "Oh, congrats, Buzz! Way to go, Buzz!" Okay. So all right. Well, Buzz. okay. Sounds sounds good. I thought you know I do think um. Dan somewhat looks like Buzz from uh, from what's that mo- Home Alone, a little bit. <laughs> you really? It, kind of. I mean, somewhat. I, it, do you see a little resemblance between Dan and Freddie Freeman? No. But, okay. That's who I thought of first when you said that. Yeah. Like, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just. Maybe the Buzz thing is just making me think that. But... He, you can ask him what Buzz is short for. Okay. Well, well maybe I'll ask him uh, next time. Dan and I. Dan and I are in together. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. How, how about that for a tease? <laughs> I know. Make sure you're tuned in. Um, uh, Dan, are you working Saturday night? Is Dan working Saturday night? Yes. Okay. I'll talk to Dan. Uh, I'm on a little, uh, a little earlier Saturday night. Uh, the ten to two shift. So, uh, I'm sure we'll do a lot of buzz talk in those two hours. Uh, that we're working together on Saturday night. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. But I got to give you my gripe of the day. Um. And my gripe today is when people will, I, I guess this is like when they're throwing out a take that they are, um, I guess, very confident in, uh, th- like something that they feel needs to be so. And then afterwards they'll say, sorry, I don't make the rules. Do you, have you seen this at all, Mike? I know you're not really that, a social media guy. You know, is that just like the new, uh, the current flavor instead of um, saying that's the tweet? Kind of a variation of that. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat like that. Um, yeah. To something to add emphasis. Uh, I don't make the rules. Uh, so that's one gripe. And then another one, because um, I, I, the Sixers hired a new play-by-play voice, Kate Scott, who, yes. um, you know, I, 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 I'm interested to hear her work. I'm excited to to hear her obviously big shoes to fill with mark zoom off but a gripe worthy tweet to start off is not the way you want to come to town let's say that i'll oh, no. tell you that much 
Oh, you're coming out of our... What happened? I'm just saying, a little gripe-worthy. In her, you know, in her introductory tweet, you, you know, I, as a broadcaster, I've heard some of her work. She sounds like she's going to do a very good job, um, but gripe-worthy tweets are not, not the way you want to come to town. So she starts off uh, with her introductory tweet to Philadelphia, says, hey, Philly, and then in parentheses, can I call you that? Don't love it. Don't love that. What, what is your take? Uh... I'm fine. You're fine with it. I'm okay. fine with it, but I, I see I'm why it's. Little... A t- I see it, it does fit your criteria. Yeah, maybe I'm being a little harsh, you know. But... No, but it, I like it. I like your consistency, though. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like I know what your strike zone is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I've got a consistent zone. I'm not Cowboy Joe. I, you know, you know where what's going to be a ball and what's going to be a strike, and uh, it's an Eric Gregg strike zone, but it's a strike zone nonetheless. Yeah, I try to. I, I try. It's pretty wide, um, but I try to keep it consistent. Two one five five nine two. Nine four nine four. If you want to get in, uh, talking Phillies start the show. Is their season in my mind essentially ended on Tuesday night uh, with their loss to the Braves? Needed a sweep, didn't get it done, um, and frustrating. You know, frustrating that this is a year they really had an opportunity to win this division if they had just beaten bad teams. Uh, even going into this Brave series, they've been saying all year long, just give us a shot going to Atlanta. Well, they had that shot, they came out, and the offense didn't do a damn thing on Monday night, or on Tuesday night, rather. And if it wasn't for an error in the ninth inning, they'd have gotten shut out. So uh, the Phillies fail again, they're not going to go to the playoffs for a 10th straight year, and, you know, a lot of changes need to be made. I think, number one, though, you, you can't bring the manager back. Like, not that he's representative of all the problems that they have, but he contributed to them losing I think a, a handful of games this year and for a guy that's one of the more highly paid managers in the league guy, it's supposed to be a difference maker in a positive way. That's not something you can have with a team that to start with just isn't, isn't talented enough. You need your manager uh, to, to, to not make things worse, but to make things better. And in my mind, Joe Girardi didn't do that this year. So talking about that, we'll get to the Eagles, more fallout from Monday night football, that loss to the Cowboys and also the Ben Simmons situation. And we'll get to some sound coming up from media day, uh, doc rivers, Daryl Morey, and uh, Joel Embiid speaking about the Ben Simmons situation. Uh, but Gus and Allentown's on the line now. Let's talk about Ben. What's up, Gus? I got three for you. Uh, Phillies, Ben Simmons, and the Eagles. Which one do you want first? Uh, why don't you give me the Phillies and then uh, the Eagles, then we'll go to Ben Simmons. Okay, good. Um, the Phillies have never really been all that interested in winning. Uh, it all starts with Bill Giles, who said, you know, I, I came here and the crowd, the attendance was 400,000, I couldn't rely on winning, so I want to put a smile on everybody's face that comes to the ballpark. And that's always been their sort of MO. They just don't, if they win, they win. That's fine. That's, but they don't, they, and it's amazing, because they've gone through all these front office changes, and yet that, that is the governing philosophy. The one time when it was a little bit different was Lee Thomas, who was, you know, he didn't care if he made anybody smile. But, uh, and that, that group was a rough group. They were a rough group of players, but they played hard and they wanted to win. Um, they just, you know, they've had their oasises. I mean, they've had their Paul Allen spirit. They had their Chase Utley and Ryan Howard, but they just don't have any philosophy. You know, like if I, had, if I was running a team, I had, this would be my philosophy. I'd look for players that can hit fastballs and throw fastballs. That would just be my philosophy. And then I'd teach every, everything else based on that foundation. Let's at least have no philosophy, no foundation, how to, to you know, uh, 
scout or develop players. They just don't. Yeah, Gus, and I think a big part of the problem is, you know, they had all that success from 2000 through through 2007, rather, through 2011, and I think they kind of just figured, okay, well, this is just going to continue along without Mm. – without having an eye to the future. And once that caught up with them, they, they've never really corrected that problem. The critical thing was when they told Ruben Amaro that it had to be Halliday or Lee, not both. Yeah, I mean... Killer. That it, was the killer. It probably they cost were, them... They were in the Boston Red Sox-New York Yankees air, air zone. They were up way up in the sky, and they came back down. Yeah, it probably cost them the World Series in 2010. There's yeah, no doubt about it. They want to fly with the big boys. Yeah. Now, on, on the Eagles, I'll make you a bet. Okay. You will not get a call about this Kansas City game all week. You won't have one Eagles call. You'll have Eagle calls about how bad the Dallas game was, but you won't have one call on this upcoming bloodbath on Sunday. Well, I think we'll have some calls, but I will say this, Gus. I don't think anybody is really looking at this game too intently. And I, I get what you're saying because, you know, um, the Eagles aren't going to win this game. Like, oh, barring <laughs> barring some sort of a, no. <laughs> a, an injury to Patrick Mahomes yeah. or something crazy happening. Goes out in yeah. the first, first play, maybe, but I doubt it. Yeah, there's no, there's no chance. I don't see any way the Eagles win this no. game. On Ben Simmons, this is what I find so fascinating about Ben Simmons and the fans. First of all, there's a dichotomy amongst the fans. The ones that go to the games, yes, they're generally supportive. The callers that call this station have never liked Ben Simmons because they've always looked at Ben Simmons as what he doesn't do rather than what he can do. And on that point, he does have a point that the town, that group of this town will never accept him. But here's the funny thing. They don't want him. They, don't, they want him to go, and he's saying, I'm gone. And yet they're still angry. I mean, you talk about answered prayers. I mean, they got what they wanted, and they're still complaining. It's, it's a win-win. He doesn't want to play here, and you don't want, you don't want him to be here. What's the, what's, the, what's the controversy? Because, Gus, this is not making the team any better. Like, what people oh, it want, is, though, in their what, eyes. What people, it is. No. This is by subtraction. The majority of the callers that call this station think that if he leaves, they're better. Right, but they're that's that, offense. But, but we're not talking about the callers to WIP. They're we're talking about offense. what's best for the Even organization. What's best for the organization, Gus, and this is the way I view it as somebody who was a very big fan of Ben Simmons, and I've kind of lost faith after that playoff series. The way I view it is, yeah, I would prefer the Sixers to be able to move him for something of value. Yeah, but But for something of value. Not, Not Simmons. Right, exactly. Because right now you're not getting what you want. The only way you're going to get what you want is if he comes back and plays. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Sixer players think that they need Ben Simmons the way the Green Bay Packers players know they need Aaron Rodgers? Of course not. Of course. So this this gesture they made to go down L.A., that's exactly what it is. They were making a courtesy call gesture, hoping that he told them no. Well, no, 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 Gus. I I don't view it as if they view Ben the way the Packers view Aaron Rodgers, but I do think Ben's teammates view him as valuable. I mean, I absolutely, valuable, I absolutely not, do. He is valuable, but he's not so valuable that they don't think they can win without him. And, but, and wait, till, wait till Maxie scores 24 points first two weeks of the season, and Joe shows development, and Matisse starts playing more minutes. Ben Simmons, out of sight, out of mind, man. But, Gus, this is the problem in how Ben's handling this situation. It's ben ben it, is like the kid in the backseat of the car screaming and yelling, trying to distract 
the father who's driving the car, and the father's just going to keep driving. Right, but that's that's what I don't understand from his perspective because Who I don't cares? think. But this wants, strategy listen, is not going to. But this Tom, strategy doesn't make it any Tom, any easier for that to happen. Tom, I know, I agree, but Tom, this is what NBA players do: they scream and yell, they do all kinds of ridiculous acrobatics to try to get out of the situation that they're in, and they act silly and ridiculous. But they think if they cause enough of a furor and enough hosts on radio stations start, you know, insisting that the general manager act as crazy as he does, maybe something will happen. He doesn't have any other leverage except to act ridiculous. Yeah, I got you, Gus, and I appreciate the call. Um, but it, I just think he's misplaying it. And this is where I, and I, I get that the NBA is a different league, and I get that players have more power, and players act, you know, in a way that, you know, they believe they can get what they want. And Ben Simmons thinks that this is the way he can best make a move out of Philadelphia, but it's just not based in reality. And this is where I think his management team is doing him a disservice here. Because if that's really the goal, if the goal for Ben is really, I don't want to play in Philadelphia anymore, the best thing that he can do is to come come in and play and in you know, six weeks, eight weeks, at some point this season, they can have an agreement that we'll, we'll try to move you once your value gets to a level that it's it's amenable to do so. But right now, you know, the Sixers aren't going to get anything substantial for Ben. They're not going to get anything that's really going to help this team. And, you know, Rich Paul treating this situation as a one-size-fits-all type thing where, okay, well, we're just going to do this the same way we did it with Anthony Davis— Ben Simmons is not Anthony Davis. Like, and this is kind of the, the, one of the problems that's kind of plagued Ben Simmons for his entire career is this inflated ego and this, this thought process that he is something that he is not. And we'll get to the ringer story that came out on Tuesday in which, you know, Ben apparently doesn't want to play with Joel Embiid, because he thinks he needs things molded around him and he needs to be the the guy, he needs to be the number one. He's not a number one. I mean, we saw that in the playoffs. You can't rely on him being the guy down the stretch. So I don't really understand the way the Ben Simmons camp is playing this out. I mean, maybe if you're if you have one year left on your contract and you have the leverage to where you can just sit out the majority of a year you'd have some leverage, and that's why Anthony Davis had the leverage that he had. But when you have four years left on your deal, unless you're just willing to sit out in perpetuity until the Sixers just decide they're tired of the situation, just want to get rid of you, you're not going anywhere. And if you're not going to come to play for the Sixers, you're not going to play at all. And we'll get to the Daryl Morey sound coming up, but Daryl Morey does not sound like a guy to me who is anxious to just make something happen. And I don't think he will. I think the Sixers will wait. And if it's uncomfortable, they'll, you know, they'll rally around the guys that are there and they'll maybe try to use this as a rallying cry. But uh, I don't get the way the Simmons camp is handling this. And I don't think the clutch agency is doing the right thing for their client, handling it the way, the way they are. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. See Mike in South Philly is there, wants to talk about the Eagles. We'll talk about the Eagles coming up next because I did have a an Eagles gripe. 
that I wanted to get to um, in terms of, of one person in particular that I think is overly criticized um, in regards to this team. Deserves some criticism, but in my mind, it's over the top. So we'll get to that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Wednesday morning, Tuesday night, however you want to look at it. Um, Talking about the Phillies a lot in the first hour. They lose to the Braves in game one of their critical three-game series on Tuesday night, pretty much ending the season. Three and a half out with five to play. Um, And, you know, the Phillies would need a lot of help now, need to win the final two, and then sweep the Marlins and the Braves would need to lose um, uh, several games this weekend. I don't see it happen. They need to sweep that series. And uh, the offense was lifeless. Once again, a team that's built on offense um, struggles to hit. So talking about that, uh, Joe Girardi and his future, we'll get more into the Phillies throughout the course of the show. We do have Sixers coming up as well um, because there was a new piece released by the ringer. Kevin O'Connor wrote this on Tuesday detailing yet another reason of why Ben Simmons wants out of Philadelphia. It seems like a different a different reason every day, and we didn't get to any of the Sixers sound last night, obviously, um, with all the fallout from that disaster with the Eagles in Dallas, but uh, we'll have Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, and Joel Embiid all talking about the Ben Simmons situation coming up throughout the course of the show. But also, I did want to get to the Eagles, and we'll get into it a little more later on as well, but I want to know how you're feeling the day after this loss. You know, a day removed um, following that Monday night massacre, and last night it was uh, it was a very frustrating performance and a very frustrating show, and I know a lot of people were angry about that effort, and it was terrible. I mean, it was really, really bad. Uh, I actually feel worse <laughs> a day removed from it. Um, and yeah, I, I have my worries about Nick Sirianni after that. And I, I was confident. I thought Nick Sirianni was the Eagles advantage in that game. You know, I thought him versus Mike McCarthy was an advantage in the Eagles favor. Um, but, uh, I didn't understand really anything Sirianni had going into that game and really anything he said. And, and the thought process of, you know, we had to keep up with Dallas, First of all, I think that's a really defeatist mindset in terms of, okay, you have, you're basically just saying you have no confidence in your defense whatsoever. A defense that didn't play well Monday night, but had played well uh, the first two weeks of the season. Um, I just thought it was a terrible game plan. It was a terrible approach. But real quick, I did want to get into something that's been bothering me a little bit. And when you look at the defense, uh, one thing that's pretty evident is the linebackers are going to be an issue with this team pretty significantly. I mean, those guys can't get off blocks, whether it's Singleton, Eric Wilson, who I hoped would bring some stability and be a good signing. He has been pretty bad so far this year. Um, TJ Edwards, I guess, showed a little bit of juice. He made a couple plays. Um, But you're getting very little from that linebacker position. And, you know, you could get away with it in Jim Schwartz's scheme where – Yeah, we've complained about the linebackers, but them not having quality linebackers hasn't really killed them because in Schwartz's scheme, you don't really really need your linebackers a ton. But it's evident in Jonathan Gannon's system, and you can see it with the Colts, with guys like Darius Leonard and and the linebackers that they have, you need your linebackers to make plays because your defensive line's job in this system is to occupy blockers and to free your linebackers up to make those plays. And right now, that is not happening 
whatsoever. And I did have a gripe that I wanted to get to here. Because I get people being frustrated, and I get giving up 40 points is, is unacceptable from the defense. But, like, it seems like every time this defense struggles, a lot of the blame is directed toward Fletcher Cox, which I personally don't understand why he is target number one. Like, I get the guy's making a lot of money, and I get you want to see more on the stat sheet, but you can't ignore the impact that he has. And I know, oh, you you know... It's just that he gets double teamed and all this stuff. Well, that does matter. Like, it's not insignificant. And when you see a guy like Javon Hargrave putting up stats and making plays, part of that is because he's playing next to Fletcher Cox. You know, you can scoff at that if you want, but it is reality. And when the Eagles signed Javon Hargrave, that was the thinking. Is that, okay, well, if we put somebody, if we put a real legit quality D tackle next to Fletcher Cox, this guy's going to put up numbers and this guy's going to eat because Fletcher Cox is going to occupy a lot of attention. And that's what happens. And yeah, Fletcher Cox isn't Aaron Donald. Like, I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying this guy is the best interior defensive lineman in football. I'm not saying he's in his prime. He's not what he was three, four years ago. But, like, he's not a bad player. And he's not, like, the, a primary issue on this defense. And the way Fletcher Cox gets blamed, you know, when this defense struggles, I, I don't really get. And, and it's frustrating because the guy does make an impact. You know, if you want to blame people on the defensive line, blame Derek Barnett, who doesn't make a play. Like, who, who gets completely dominated by Tyron Smith an entire game who is completely invisible. You know, Fletcher Cox is getting push. He is occupying blockers. He is doing things to free up other guys on that defensive line. And, yeah, is he he the best interior defensive lineman in football? No, he's not. But does he make an impact? And does he contribute to this defense making plays? He absolutely does. And to ignore that is just being unfair. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's it going, Tom? How's it going, man? October 24th. Uh, oh, yeah. Cur- Curb uh, returns October 24th. That's right. I, did I cannot wait. Yep. It might be the last season, so, uh, you know, you never know. You know what? At this point, at this point, Mike, I don't know if it will be. I mean, we say that every year, and Larry will get bored a couple years from now. He'll make another one. Yeah, did you see the thing? He got into a spat with somebody. I forget who it was. Um Ah, damn, it was, uh, uh, he's the lawyer from Harvard that that appears on some news stations. I forget what it was. (laughs) And Larry was yelling at him about appearing on uh, Fox News or or posing with somebody related to Trump or something. (laughs) I just, seriously, honestly, I don't care what it was. If, if Larry yelled at me in public, it would be like the greatest day of my life. Even if Larry was legitimately angry at me, I, I, I wouldn't be able to stop myself from laughing. It's just, Imagine just getting scolded by Larry David in, in a public setting. That would be hilarious. Now, Mike, I don't know if I had talked about this with you, but did you see the picture of him at the Rams game on Sunday in the in the box? Uh, was it actually him or was it a picture of him? 
It was actually it was oh, it he, was he actually was him. Yeah, he oh, was no, at I the didn't game. See it. I didn't see it. And he's his hair is just like totally disheveled. Yeah. Um and he looks like he's worked up about something. It was pretty funny. Yeah. But and, and I bet you he's you know, maybe not all of his show, but in, in real life he's just like he is uh you know on the show. Oh, I am, yeah. I'd be so disappointed if he wasn't that way, Mike. If he yeah, was, wasn't like uh, ultra neurotic and and yeah. uh you know a jerk, I'd be very disappointed if he was a very nice guy. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. Um, yeah, well, I'll start with the Eagles. You know, I, I think since it's been so far removed from, like, earlier in the offseason, I think people lose sight of the fact just how dysfunctional this organization is. And, and you know, I touched on it a little bit last night, just kind of rehash it. But, I mean, remember how insane the whole coaching interview process was. Like, remember how insane – first of all, remember, like, how the offseason started – like even past the stuff with Doug Peterson saying they're going to keep him, and then a couple of weeks later backtracking, and then like Jeffrey Lurie had that really awkward Zoom conference that where even the national media, which usually sucks up the owners because they don't want to burn any bridges, they were even ripping Jeffrey Lurie. Oof, that was ugly. Remember, like absolving Howie of blame, blaming missed draft picks on players taking right before their picks, and and then you know Sirianni was like the. 12th or 10th candidate that they interviewed and they kind of didn't even have him on the radar. And then they kind of fell into the, they fell into him. And, and when you just look at, and remember there's some, a couple, at least two, if not three Jeff McLean articles about how messed up the front office is running things. And I think, you know, since those were so far back earlier in the year and we were so far removed by the time the season started, I think people kind of maybe forgot it was tucked away back in their in the back of their brains but just how dysfunctional this organization is and you know you can point to a lot of reasons why the eagles lost and why they're one and two right now um and all those are valid but i think at the end of the day it still is it will continue to be and it has it all comes back to jeff lurie and howie roseman and um and i just I, i think they've really fallen off as an organization since the super bowl but i will say this when you have a dysfunctional organization, a panacea to make things a lot better is a franchise quarterback, a star franchise quarterback. And luckily for the Eagles, there's one on the market still whom Jay Glazer reported on Sunday afternoon that the Texans lowered their asking price for Deshaun Watson. So this is a roundabout way, Tom, of me saying, let's end this charade. He's not suspended. He's eligible to play now, go out and get them. You have uh, three first-round picks as it currently stands. Obviously, obviously they could change. It's only three games in, but they're all in the top ten. Dangle those in front of Houston. Let's end this charade and just bring them in here. Let's get this done. Hertz isn't owed anything. Your, your only thing you owe your fan base and your organization is to put the best team on the field as possible. There's a 26-year-old star quarterback. We don't have to wait and find out if Hertz is the guy. Just go get him. Go get him before Miami does. Because if this thing with Miami goes on, they're going to they're gonna get right, jump, jump right in the mix for him as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll see, Mike. I mean, I know the rumors are going to start starting back up with Sean Watson. I saw Mike Florio sent something out on Monday night in terms of watching the Eagles for him. I mean, but I, I will say this, like, he's not suspended right now because the Texans aren't playing. He's not going to play this year. Like, it's pretty clear he's not going to play this year. And What do you think if they traded for him and they said, all right, well, we're going to shoot him up this Sunday, then they go, okay, well, we have to suspend him. You think that's how it would go I down? I think that's exactly how it would go down. I, think, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, I think know? the reason why he's not on some sort of list now is because, you know, there's a handshake of agreement or whatever that the Texans are fine with not playing him. He doesn't want to play. The minute where it would become a possibility for him to play – 
I believe that would happen, and and we'll see what happens. But I don't think he's going to get traded until the offseason. I just don't think until there's more clarity from a legal perspective, he's going to get dealt. Um, and that that's where I think it stands right now. Yeah, I mean, he may not, but but like to me, that's the thing. Like, you know, obviously, I, I'm, you know, it's looking more and more now. I'm not going to – I'm a big Lane uh, or Landon Dickerson fan. I love them in college, and I'm a fan of the Devontae Smith pick. So I'm not saying that, you know, by any means that these picks are, are, are not going to work out. Um, but just through three games, that's all we have to evaluate right now. Um, nothing that Harry Roseman has really done in the offseason has, uh, has, you know, bare fruit yet. And, uh, and if this does turn out to be another bad offseason, that would be four in a row for Howie. Um, and – you know, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me. It doesn't seem like Jeffrey Lurie is willing to make that change. You right, know, but- it's going to have to get like horrendously bad, just like multiple horrible years of like probably five wins or less for him to even consider firing Howie. And when you have a dysfunctional organization, the one thing that can cover that up is having a great quarterback. Like Mike McCarthy's a joke. He's horrible. And the fact that the Eagles got blown out by a Mike McCarthy coach team, you know, is really disconcerting. But you want to know why that they're getting along with Mike McCarthy and they're looking good is because Prescott is playing really great football and they have great weapons. It makes a mediocre at best coach look good. If you get a franchise quarterback, you know, maybe it'll make Nick Sirianni look a lot better. Right. And but but I'll say this, Mike, like you talk about, you know, he's had a bad offseason, but they got a lot of the ammunition they need to go get that guy. You know, whether they do make a move for Watson at some point or whether they get somebody in the draft or whether they trade for another veteran. And that's why, as far as this past offseason went, you know, that offseason isn't going to be judged this year. I think we oh, all for, know that. Sure. Like, that they, they didn't make the moves in the 2021 offseason for the 2021 season. They made them for beyond. And, and we all understand that. For sure, yeah. But yeah, and I, and I agree, but like, you know, I'm just talking about what we see on the field right now. Um, but like, but as but this it, is what know, we expected to see in large. Yeah, but part. I'm talking about, and, but unless those picks turn into a star quarterback, like if, if that doesn't happen, and say they just end up standing pat and just picking, you know, a couple, you know, some players in the draft or what have you. But if it if it does turn into that, then you can retroactively say, okay, that was a great offseason. But until that happens. You know, it's still in it's still in limbo. Uh, but and I'm not even saying his off season was horrible. I'm saying I'm just saying through three games, nothing they've done this off season has really done anything to impact this roster this year. And if it turns out to be that way, it, if it turns out to be that way, it would be four straight years. But like you know, you, you just look back at all the misses they have, and then you look at a team like Dallas. You know, look at look at how their young guys impact the field. You know, make an impact on the field. Look at Ceedee Lamb. Look at Diggs. Look at Micah Parsons. Like they always, almost always, get significant impacts from their young draft picks, mm-hmm. and it's been so long for the Eagles. And it's like, you know, even though I know he's a rookie, but like, come on, you can't get more out of Devontae Smith. Like, are you serious? Like right now, Quez Watkins looks like the, the best receiver they have. You know, he's going out and he's aggressive. He's attacking the ball. That catch he made was tremendous uh, last night. Um, but like. Why can't they run off? Why, why can't they run plays to get Devontae Smith more open? I, I read something like Next Gen Stats um, 
keeps track of the separation percentages, and he has like the second lowest separation percentage in all the NFL. I don't know if that's just him acclimating to the NFL. I don't know if that's a play designer scheme thing. But like, regardless of what it is, it doesn't matter. Like, they never get contributions from their young players. And I'm sick of looking across the division and seeing Dallas almost always get contributions from their young players. No, no, no doubt, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it. Man. Thanks for the call. And yeah, I mean, I talked about it a little last night. That that was the biggest takeaway to me from that game on Monday night, and it's the golfing talent between the Cowboys and the Eagles. I mean, Cowboys are a significantly more talented team. And yeah, I mean, we mock the Cowboys for a lot of different things. The lack of playoff wins, what, I mean, what what do they have? Four playoff wins, 25 years, something like that. But you can't mock the way they draft. Like, the one thing they do very, very well is they draft extremely well. I mean, you look at that roster and how it's been built. It's been built through the draft. I mean, when it you look at Dak and CeeDee Lamb and, you know, Tyron Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, Micah Parsons, yeah, they, they do a hell of a job uh, drafting talent. And they don't overthink it. And, yeah, I'm not going to not gonna tell you that Howie Rosen's done a great job drafting. I, he hasn't. Um, and we've gone over the draft record a billion times. I'm not going to, you know, we don't have to do all that again tonight. But... You know, I do think the Eagles started heading in the right direction this offseason. I do. Like, with the moves looking toward the future, the uh, accumulation of draft picks, and Mike is right about it is about getting a quarterback. Now, whether that's Deshaun Watson, whether that ends up being a different veteran quarterback you trade for, whether it ends up being Jalen Hurts, and then you can surround him and utilize those picks to surround Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, time will tell, but as far as this season goes, like, I do think this team can be better than expected. I picked them to win nine games. Am I completely confident in that after Monday night? No, of course not. I mean, that was a really poor performance, and the head coach does have me concerned. But we do need to keep in perspective what we expected this season to be. You know, we expected this season to be up and down. We expected Sirianni and Hurts to go through growing pains. And I hope that's what Monday night was. I don't know that. I mean, that could be a real sign of of, of bad things to come. But, you know, I think it's too early to judge what happened in the offseason and to judge, you know, Devontae Smith, who I think will be better, and Landon Dickerson, who I think will be better. Um based off three games this year, because a lot of what they did last offseason was not about improving for this season. It was about setting themselves up, moving forward, following this year to see what happened this year, lay a foundation, and to really set yourself up for success moving forward. I know that's not what people want to hear. I know that's not what people want to see. Um, but what's that line that our buddy uh, Coach Judge said last week? It's the reality of what it is. That That is the reality of of what it is uh, that the Eagles are, are last offseason was more about the future than it was 2021. 215 592 9494. If you want to get in, 215 592 9494. That's how you join the show. Um, when we get back, I did want to get to a little bit of the Ben Simmons stuff. We'll get to Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers. I'll tell tell you about this new piece from the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor in terms of uh, why 
Ben now wants out of Philadelphia, and maybe we'll hear a little bit from Joel Embiid as well. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. And Mike posed an interesting question to me during the break. We'll get some Sixer stuff in a minute here. But, like, when was the last time we were this confident? This is the question you asked, right, Mike? The last time we were confident, this confident in a home loss for the Eagles? Yeah, and I guess the obvious exception is the, the game against the football team last year. Like, that doesn't count. Yeah, and I didn't think that was an obvious loss. Okay. You know, and they NBC came out. sure didn't. Yeah, right. They came out and they 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 fought and, you know, if Doug had kept Jalen in the game, maybe they win that game. Um, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a good question because even in 2016 when they weren't supposed to be that good, I don't, like, games. They were a good home team, though, that year. Right. And games recently that we thought they were a lock to lose, like 2018 against New Orleans. That was in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, 2000... The Rams game, which they end up winning, but that was in L.A. Right. 2013, yeah, that was a good, that's a good one. 2013, going way back, but remember that game in against Denver, which they got slaughtered in. Chip's mm-hmm. fourth game, I think. That was in Denver. Yep. Yeah, it's a good, that's a good question. Because uh, I, I do remember last year, too, like, there were some people who thought they had a chance to beat Baltimore last year. That home game, so right. that's not that's not a qualified one, right? Um, I don't know. Probably some point in the 2011, 2012 seasons, like the end of Andy. Oh, uh, you know, there was a year, uh, maybe eleven. I think Vince Young hosted the Patriots. Oh yeah, I remember that game. That was a that was an ugly, ugly football game. A lot of um, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis that game. How about that? The law firm. The law firm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, that's probably that's probably it. I think that was my only time seeing the goat in person. Is that uh that 2011 game? Um, because I was not there in 2019. I had given up my uh, ushering job by then. So the only time I saw the the goat, I believe, was 2011. I saw him at MetLife a couple of years ago. The Eagles had like a Thursday night game, and so I was freed up to uh, go up and see him. Wait, but in MetLife against the Jets. Against the the Jet, I'm talking about Tom Brady. Yeah, who are you talking about? Tom Brady. You so like, oh, when you so played the Jets. Oh, so you didn't? It wasn't an Eagles game. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, that that was my saw the goat nonetheless. All right. I thought you were talking about an Eagles game. I, I might, I might, I might spring and buy some buy some tickets for uh, that Thursday nighter in a couple weeks. You know, Ooh. it's my only. You know, and I know the Eagles probably won't win the game, but it's my only night where I'll be I'll be off the night of an Eagles game. So you know. Maybe go down there, go down to the go down to the ball game, have a couple pops, uh, as as you will. Because I'm usually know. working on Sunday nights. I think uh, Janssen, uh has the Thursday night. You're going to be up late though. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, who who goes and drinks beers during a game? I mean, how dare you do something like that? Uh-huh. Well, it's just the staying up late part is the the, the worst part. Right, right, right. Yeah, you have to stay up late uh, to watch those watch those games. I gotta say, Mike, I I was I'll give. Like the audience and the generally the city credit. I did not hear a lot of complaining about the uh, late nature of that Monday night game. I did not see a lot of it on social media. Well, I guess it was only natural for uh, after the pandemic, those complaints to go down. Yeah. More people working from home, I guess. Less time. Uh, we're not working. Yeah. We're not not working. Yeah. Uh, in, in some instances, unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah. Um, did not see a lot of that, so uh, not as much uh, complaining from people uh, in regards to late games. But yeah, that's a good question. Uh, as far as it probably was ten years ago against the Patriots, but um, the Eagles certainly big underdogs this week. And I wish I could give you 
a little more hope going into this one and, and, you know, rile it up and, you know, they're going to come back angry after that game in Dallas on Monday night. I mean, maybe you could kind of believe that if the Chiefs had won last week, but you're dealing with an angry Chiefs team, an angry Patrick Mahomes, um, whether Andy makes the trip or not. I mean, I think it's expected that he will. Uh, he was back. Coach Reed. Coach Reed. Sorry. <laughs> My apologies. Um, but uh, yeah, I do. I do not see any way in hell the Eagles win this game. I, I just don't. And I just looked at the line right now. I can't believe that line's only at seven and a half. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that should be uh, double digits um, and and beyond uh, for the Eagles to give up 41 to Dallas. You know, and if Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni was was that worried about keeping pace with Dallas and ran the ball three times, he might not run at all this week. He might just double down, as he says, and just say, "Hey, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw this thing seventy times," um, and it still w- wouldn't help. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, um, but I did want to get to some stuff from Sixers Media Day here because we didn't get to any of this last night, but. Sixers start training camp on Monday in Camden, and as expected, no Ben Simmons. He does not arrive, as was expected, and several reasons for that. We'll get to this new story from Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer in a few minutes here as to why. Um, But Ben's not here, and obviously you knew there were going to be a lot of questions uh, regarding Simmons and his future with the 76ers. So first we'll let you hear from Daryl Morey. Here's Daryl Morey uh, talking about the situation and where Ben's value is at right now. Well, let me give some background. Um, they they came to us and asked for a trade uh, shortly after the season as representatives in Chicago. We were not looking to trade him to Coach's Point, uh, multi-time All-Star, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, we were on the doorstep, uh, like many teams. Um, well, about four teams. Yeah. But yeah. I was like, Milwaukee, the year prior, they were the one seed, went into the next season, won the title. Um, look, every team goes through its own journey. Uh, ben is a very good player, a big part of this team. Um, we're disappointed he's not here. Uh, we're making our choices, but we're excited. We're very excited about the players who are here. And we're going to focus on them, and we're taking our journey to be a championship team. We don't know exactly what that will be. Um, in terms of like what trades or non-trades, I only have one focus, which is to do what gives us the best chance to win a championship. So I will do all the signings or non-signings, all the trades or non-trades. You can know that when they happen or don't happen is because we think it's, along with Coach Rivers, we think it's the best thing to give us the best chance to win the championship. And, you know, pretty non-committal answer either way from Daryl Morey there. There was a weird interjection from Doc Rivers to correct him and on the amount of teams left in the playoffs at that time. I don't really know what the need uh, for that was. By the way, there was a little, there was a funny back and forth between Howard and Doc during this uh, press conference. Did you hear that, Mike? I heard J- John Johnson y- yes. perked your ears up because he, he said they were... Um, battling for for dominance 
And that yeah. kind of that, that kind of seemed to perky up a little bit during Janssen. Strange way to put it, right? Yeah, it was it was an interesting way to put it. But John was right. That that was kind of how I read it. Maybe we'll play that a little later on, um, because you know Doc and Howard were uh, were going at it a little bit during that call. Um, but uh, you know that's Daryl Morey basically saying where it stands with Ben right now. Here's more on whether Morey feels there's any way Ben Simmons could potentially come back to the Sixers. I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of hope. Uh, I would say I watched last night a player lead their team to victory, where a thousand pounds of digital ink were spilled on how much he would never play for that team again. So, look, every situation is different, uh, but we have a lot of optimism that uh, we can make it work here. Now that's Daryl Morey comparing the Ben Simmons situation to Aaron Rodgers situation. I don't think they're all that that comparable. Um, Mainly because I think Aaron Rodgers had obviously been there longer. Aaron Rodgers, much better player. Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, if short of retiring, was going to have to play. And I don't really see those as similar situations. But here's more from Doc Rivers this time talking about, you know, losing and the effect that he thinks that's had on Ben Simmons. That's it. And losing, guys, listen, I've been in a lot of losing uh, rooms and I've been in some winning rooms. Most of us. Usually when you coach, you're on the on the bad end of it. You're really always on the good end. And it's amazing the impact it has. I've I've been around it. Um, this has happened more than you know. It just has not happened to this extent, uh, especially the day after a loss or the week after a loss. Unfortunately, this has not changed. And, you know, Ben Simmons, for this, at this time, holding firm to his position. He doesn't want to come back. Here's more from Doc Rivers talking about where his focus lies right now. Well, clearly not the easiest situation, but individually it's easy. You know, um, I look at the young guys that we have. It's amazing. Like, I try not to include, like, Matisse, but he's young. Uh, Furk and Shake are young. Uh, Tyrese is young. Uh, so individually, it's easy to set their goals and their standards for where we need them to be for us to take the next step. Um, you know, we're going to focus on who's here. Um, we're going to try to build our team out to who's here right now um, with hopes that we do have been at some point. But right now, that can't be our focus. Our focus, I can only touch the people who are in front of me. And uh, there's no doubt that they... That's Doc Rivers' job. He's got to focus on the guys that are in camp, and he can't be overly focused with the Ben Simmons situation. And, you know, but you know this is hovering over the entire team, and this is something they're hearing about every day. This is something they're talking about every day. And here's more from Doc on whether he thinks this is going to be an issue. Yeah, that's always a concern. Like, uh, one thing as a coach I've never figured out, um, and no one, you know, I've talked to a million coaches about it, is trade rumors. Um Especially in this day, I, I didn't, you know, I, I played in the era where hell, we didn't know it until literally when the GM called you in the office, you think you're getting a raise and they trade you, you know, you didn't know any information. And now we know a lot of information. Uh, a lot of it is not true though, Keith. I mean, this summer I saw trades and I was like, wow, that's a hell of a trade, you, you, you know, and, and, but there was no truth to it because I hadn't heard one thing about it. Um, and so for players hearing their names, that's not easy for them. Um, but our job is to try to reassure them the best that we can, you know. Um, but that's part of the league now. That's, that's the tough part. Uh, you're right. 
And like that, that's part of the business. That's part of the business in any sport is that guys are going to be mentioned in trade rumors. And yeah, the Sixers were talking about trading Ben Simmons for James Harden. Everybody knows that. I mean, Ben Simmons knows that. Uh, this, this is not a secret. And it didn't seem to be an issue during the season. You know, it didn't seem to be something that Ben Simmons was even really upset about during the season. Uh, but after the season, obviously things have gone uh, a different way. And that's been a lot of the speculation as to why does Ben Simmons want out of Philadelphia and that being one of the reasons. In a few minutes, uh, I'll get to this new piece um, on the ringer from Kevin O'Connor as to what he's hearing in regards to why Ben wants out. But first, here's Doc on what he's hearing and why he believes Ben doesn't want to be in Philadelphia anymore. That's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's a tough answer um, because it wasn't as clear as we probably would want it. Um, you know, wanting to change places to, to you know, for whatever reason. So, um, you know... It's tough to play here, you know, um, but Ben didn't say that, but, you know, you got to assume that's probably part of it. Um, and I can't say he said that. Uh, that's just an assumption. And, you know, that's another part of speculation that Ben Simmons doesn't want to play in Philadelphia anymore. And we've heard a ton of reasons this offseason. And uh, the new piece written by Kevin O'Connor on The Ringer it details what he's hearing in regards to Simmons and that Simmons. Now the latest reason why Ben Simmons doesn't want to be in Philadelphia anymore is because he doesn't think he fits well with Joel Embiid, that it's not really a personal thing between the two, but as a basketball fit, he doesn't believe that this is the best utilization of his talents to remain in Philadelphia playing with Joel Embiid and that he needs things structured around him. And, you know, maybe he thinks too much. I heard you bring this up with John earlier, Mike, about that Utah game and, and that maybe this is the template. And that's what was mentioned in the piece that Kevin O'Connor wrote that, you know, that Ben in some ways believes that, they should structure the team around him in a similar way to the way the Milwaukee Bucks structure their team around Giannis. Which Doc Rivers seems to agree with him on. Right. Like, I think Doc Rivers is trying to work with him. Like, I, yeah. I honestly, and, and you know, a lot of stuff's going down, but I do think the Sixers are trying to work with Ben Simmons here in every way possible. That I think that it's clear that they're fine with trading him when they get a deal that they think is worth trading him for. And in the meantime, they will do their best to utilize his talents, to um, showcase his talents. And that was also in the piece that part of this plan that Doc sold to Ben Simmons was, okay, well, we'll stagger your minutes with Joel Embiid more. And you'll play more of the five when Joel Embiid's off the floor. And you can, you know, handle the ball and do all these sorts of things. But even that hasn't seemed to appease Ben Simmons. And, and this is kind of the, the thing here. Because we've heard so many different different reasons for why he wants out. You know, it's the fans. It's, it's Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers' post-game comments. You know, it's, it's, it's the way he's been treated. All of these different things. But, like, it's not surprising to me 
that Ben feels like things need to be structured more around him because that's the way he's always felt. And all his actions over the years have shown that he feels that way. That that he hasn't adjusted or changed his game, you know, to benefit Joel Embiid. While Joel Embiid has extended his range and done things for Ben. And, you know, we've heard all of these different reasons. Why he wants out, the trade rumors as well. And all these problems and all these things conspiring against Ben. And, you know, it's honestly sad to see because like this was a real opportunity for Ben Simmons. I really felt like this offseason, whether he came back to Philadelphia or not, like this was an opportunity for him as a player to recognize, hey, I've got weaknesses and I need to correct these weaknesses. And if I don't, I'm not going to end up being the player that I can be or that I'm capable of being down the road. And it just doesn't seem like he's done any of that. And like, whether he was upset after game seven or not, like his teammates are trying to reach out right now. Like they're trying to fly out to Los Angeles to see him. And I think it's just at a point right now where Ben's just being really delusional about what he is as a player, you know, because you're not, you're not Giannis, you know, you're not as good as that guy is. You're not a player who teams are going to trade heaven and earth to go get. And, and whether he likes it or not, the only way his value is going to rise if he comes back and plays. One thing though, I don't think Ben cares if he, if teams move heaven and earth to get him. I just think he wants to get gone. Agree. Agreed. I, I agree with that, but I don't like I really don't believe that Daryl Morey is gonna right. give in here. Right. You know, like and and I think this really is a standoff. I mean, that's essentially what this is. It's Rich Paul and Ben Simmons versus Daryl Morey. Who's gonna blink I, first? Or is it Ben Simmons and Rich Paul versus Josh Harris? Because if you're Ben Simmons, that's what you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, because I mean Harris would obviously have uh, you know, the decision-making power. But... Well, I, I, just because he has a tendency of panicking and like kind of um, moving too early, like just, you oh. know, the false trade, the, the hinky thing, the, you know, just, like, you know what I mean? Like he, sometimes he just panics and makes moves. I agree. But Butler. I, I also think part of the reason he hired Daryl Morey though, is because he wanted somebody in that position who he could trust to make these kind of decisions. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think, I think he trusts Maury certainly more than he trusted Hinky, more than he trusted Colangelo. You know, being in that ownership position for you know an amount of time now, you'd hope Josh Harris has learned that maybe overreacting isn't the most you know isn't the smartest thing to do in these sorts of situations. And you know, I want to know what people out there think of this and how it's gonna how it's gonna play out because I don't. Like, I do not believe Daryl Morey is going to give in here. I really don't. And I know people want Ben out, and I know people want this to end, and, and you know, to find for the Sixers to find a way to improve their team right now. But I think Daryl Morey's doing the right thing. I mean, you need to try. The, you, you can't cash in the asset that you have, the, the most valuable asset you have, for below market value. Like, this is your one chance 
to dramatically improve your team to get closer to winning a championship. And I don't think Ben Simmons has the leverage here. I just don't. And he can sit out of training camp for a few weeks. But eventually, I do think he will come back. And the Sixers, I think, are handling this really the only way they can. And I think the players are handling it very well. I thought Joel Embiid handled it very well the other day. We'll get to some of his sound later on. Um, But the Sixers seem to be very bullish here on we want to bring Ben back. And we all know that he will be traded eventually. Like, there's no doubt. Like, I, I... I I highly doubt a situation where Ben comes back and, you know, I guess it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Crazier things have happened, but, you know, say you come back and everything works perfectly and you end up winning a championship and Ben's here for another decade. I would say that's that's extremely unlikely. Um, And the odds are he's going to get traded at some point. But, you know, if he if he does not come back. Like, I don't think Daryl Morey's going to give in here, nor do I think he should. Uh, I think Daryl Morey's handling this the right way, and and the Sixers should not give in um, at this point. They have the leverage, and I think they should exercise it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. That's how you join the show. When we get back, we'll be joined by Dave Uram of KYW News Radio. We'll talk about all of these issues that we've been discussing tonight with Dave. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
So is this the this is the the Diana Krull version that Al's been uh, asking for, that pleading for? Yeah, I have to admit it's better than it's been growing on me the last few times we played it. Really? Because when I heard it, I immediately thought, you know what, Mike was right. I like the other version better. No, I think I like this one better. You like this one better? I like this one better. It's a little it's, too like it's sensual. Smooth. Yeah, yeah. It's smoother. Uh, it's, uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It feels more modern. Uh, okay. The Ella Fitzgerald one feels, with all due respect to Ella Fitzgerald, a little bit older, a little bit dated. You, good thing you said all due respect. I think you I've been playing be... the Peggy Lee one, though, instead. Oh. All due respect to Peggy Lee, then. Well, is the Peggy Lee version better than the than the Diana Krall? The Pe- that was my take. You have to save the Peggy Lee one for next the next week. We, we'll just continue to rotate them, I guess. How many different versions of this song are there? Have you there are a few. Across? There are a few. All right. Well, maybe we can. Uh, maybe has System of a Down ever done a cover of this one? That would be an interesting, an uh, interesting thing to hear. No, I, th- I think the key is it has to be from a woman's perspective. Okay. Well, yeah, probably. Good, good, good. Well, not necessarily though. Yeah, uh, yeah. but you know, not, I guess not system of the down. Yeah, not there's anything wrong with that. No, so, not at all. Yeah. So uh, that is uh, the music though that ushers in Dave Uram for his weekly appearance. Dave, how's it going today? Better are... than that football team that performed or did not perform the other night. That's for sure. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Well, I, I, what was your prediction? I forget. Did I, you... my, I predicted twenty-seven twenty Dallas. Okay. So I was close with the Eagles. The Eagles had twenty-one. Uh, I was not close with Dallas, but I don't know. Did anybody pick Dallas to win by twenty points? I didn't hear. I didn't hear anybody pick Dallas in a landslide. No, I mean most people. Like I loved. I was listening to the pregame show, and I loved our buddy Rob Cherry's analysis, which is just Rob just says I, I will never pick the Cowboys, so I'm picking the Eagles, even though I think the Cowboys are going to win. What was Elliot's pick? Do you know what Elliot's pick was? I don't know. Mike, you produced the pregame. What was? You remember what Elliot's pick was? You have that photographic <laughs> Mike memory. Doesn't remember. I can tell. <laughs> uh, it's not that I don't remember. I probably was on the phone with Joe McPeak. At oh, okay. The time. Oh, Joe Joe McPeak. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know what I was listening at the time. I think Elliot picked the Cowboys. And I, you know, I I could be wrong, but it sounded like Elliot had a had a landslide of a score. It seemed like Elliot's score wasn't close. Maybe I'm wrong about that, and that's why I was asking what Elliot's was, but. Yeah, I, I don't think he picked the Eagles. I don't remember his score, though. Right. But a uh, ton of different stuff to get to, Dave. I guess we'll start with the Eagles. Obviously, a very ugly, um, That's disturbing performance the other night. First off, your thoughts on the head coach, who, I mean, I'm an idiot. I picked the Eagles to win because I thought Nick Sirianni would bounce back and coach the pants off Mike McCarthy. That didn't happen. No. Your thoughts on Coach Sirianni and his game plan coming into this? He this looks one. out of place. He just doesn't. He seems. He seems like I don't. Not in his, his element's not the right way to put it because he's a football guy. He is in his element, but he just seems like he's he's overmatched at this point. That's the perfect way to put it. He's overmatched, and when you get out coached by a guy like Mike McCarthy, who's considered to be, I guess, one of the more overrated coaches, considering what he had in Green Bay. That's never a good thing. The the game first of all, his explanation post game about what the game plan was didn't make any sense about keeping up with the Cowboys explosive offense. If that if the Cowboys have such an explosive offense, which they do, you want to keep the ball away from them. You don't want to have ten minutes less of possession time. So that didn't make any sense. And then the 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 the, the fact that Miles Sanders only touched the ball out of the backfield in terms of carries twice 
And the other, uh, Kenny Gainwell only had it once. And there was only three running plays, basically, because Jalen Hurts had nine carries. Is, is, is historic. It's, it's, it's infamous. It's, it shows that right now he clearly does not have a good grasp of the job. Now, he may get better at it because he's a rookie head coach, and the first time that you ever do something, you're never going to be great at it. Um, I know he had a good opening day, but the fact of the matter is is that anything in life, the first time you do it, there's going to be rough patches, points, rough points around the edge, and that's what you're seeing right now. He looks overmatched. That's the simplistic way of putting it. Now, I think the obvious next question, I mean, he does look overmatched, and he did the other night. Do you think this is something that gets better? Because if it doesn't, I mean, I know the Eagles tired him with the attention. He'd be around for a while. But if you go a whole year and he continues to make the same mistakes, I mean, do you think there's any chance this could be like a one-and-done situation? I, right now, no. I don't think it could be a one-and-done because the Eagles committed to him. The Eagles committed to building the future with him. So I don't think it's one-and-done at this point. But, I mean, if they go, what, three and three and 14 and or four and 13. And there continues to be moments like the other night where he doesn't give the ball to one of your better. He sees the thing that's so mystifying. He preach what he's, he's not doing what he preaches, right? He preaches players, players, players. But if you're preaching players, 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 and one of your best players has two carries out of the backfield averaging for a little over 13 yards because one of them was a 24-yard run, you're not doing players, players, players. And the thing, oh, oh, well, the numbers are skewed because the game got out of hand. No. No, I mean, the game was still relatively close for for most of the first half. And I understand they didn't have the ball in the first half. But to give you a a really nitty-gritty example of why in the world didn't you run the ball, they're backed up in their own end zone after the goal line stand. And Hertz is back there in the shotgun with nobody in the backfield. No, first of all, no backfield protection, and in the possibility of getting a safety with a compromised offensive line. The first play, and when they had that ball backed up in the goal line after the goal line stand, should have been a handoff to Miles Sanders. That should have been the first play. The same thing, it's, and it's and it's and it's kind of like similar thing that happened the week before with the 49ers. It should have been run the ball, run the ball, run the ball down on the goal line. He just seems to be overthinking everything right now. Um, he says all these things during the week. It doesn't show up in the game. He had the Beat Dallas t-shirt on, which I thought was a cool story, but it came back to and it ended up backfiring. So he just, if he's such a football guy, which I believe that he is, if he's such a guy about ball, which, which everybody who knows him well says he is, then he's got to show it during the games, and he's not showing it right. There is simply no excuse to, to run the ball three times subtracting Jalen Hurts' carries. There's no excuse. Right, and, and to your point about not coaching to the strengths of your players, like that's not coaching to Jalen Hurts' strengths, to dropping him back you know, as many times you're dropping no. him back and making him uh, you know, throw the ball that many times. Does it worry you at all that like they don't seem to be taking advantage of of Jalen Hurts's, you know, biggest strength, which is his legs, because I don't understand why not only you don't run the ball more, but why don't you run read option plays where yeah. Jalen Hurts can kind of occupy a defensive end and do things like that? It doesn't seem to me like like 
like he understands the quarterback that he's coaching. And the, a couple of those plays worked well in week one against the Falcons. There were some nice RPOs against the Falcons. He's not coaching to his players. So so right now he's kind of seeming, I mean, fraud may be strong, but, but you know, whatever is the less uh, meaner way of saying fraud, that, that's what he's because he's saying one thing, but he's not doing it on the field. And that's where it matters. You have to back up your talk. You have to walk the talk. And he's not walking the talk. Well, and, you know, part of the spec, some of the speculation I've heard, and we know from some of the stuff that came out in the offseason about these meetings with Howie and Jeffrey Lurie and Doug Peterson about them wanting him to throw the football more. Do you think any of this play calling is being influenced I, by what's going on above him? I was thinking that. I was thinking. Is, is, is Jeffrey and Howie telling him to pass the ball this much? I mean, I can't imagine they would tell him to run the ball three times. I mean, that's, I'm, that's what I, I, I was thinking exactly that, TK. I'm wondering, well, three times is really extreme. But we know that Jeffrey, according to reports, wants pass, pass, pass. So is he doing something that, that he's being instructed? I, I don't know. But I thought about it. I mean, and I, I will be honest about that. I, I definitely, that definitely crossed my mind. More, you know, at least once that, man, maybe, maybe this is the Jeffrey Howie influence. Which, if that is the case, again, that's the worst thing that could happen to the Philadelphia Eagles. Frankly, Jeffrey and Howie need to stand back at this point. They need to stay away. They need to, if if they are doing that, and I don't know, but if they are doing that, they need to let him do his job. They need to let him grow on the job. And if if he's a guy, and I feel like, see, this is another thing that's confusing. I feel like during the preseason, I got the vibe from reading the various different uh, stories and such from training camp of the people who were there that it seemed like Sirianni would be more open to running the ball than previous Eagles coaches. So that's why the other it's just like I don't like the numbers are skewed because of the way the game went and the, like the reasoning made no, no sense. No, dude, run the ball. Yeah, and I I not, I hate the analysis of just they got to run the ball more. I hate being the run the ball guy, but. You should. You got to run the ball more. Than yeah, times. more than three times. That's clear. And one more on the Eagles before we get to some other stuff. But you know, Sirianni, obviously, he's a pretty young guy. Does this kind of concern you that maybe part of the issues they're having is because it is such a young staff? And like, even a guy like Sean McVay, when he takes the job with the Rams, he has a guy like Wade Phillips there right. who's been around for a long time to kind of assist him through some of these things. Does it worry you that that? It is a staff that is so youthful. Yeah, and, it does. And inexperienced. And when Doug stepped in, he had Schwartz, and Schwartz had been around for you know Schwartz had been a head coach previously. Uh, Frank Reich had been a, an assistant coach for for many many years in the NFL longer than Doug was, I think. Um, so yeah, the, the fact that Jonathan Gannon is a rookie defensive coordinator and Michael Clay is a rookie special teams coach, head, a special teams coordinator. He's been a special teams assistant before. Uh, Nick Sirianni's a first-time head coach at any level of football. Sure, it's, it's concerning. But they're all learning on the job. And when you learn on the job, there's rough patches, and they're in a rough patch right now. But the thing that you want to see, if they're going to keep losing, they're going to keep, you know, that's bad. But the thing that you at least want to see is improvement. And I don't think you saw improvement from the 49ers game to the Dallas game. I actually think you saw a regression in Sirianni's coaching. And, and I don't think we're going to see a lot of improvement this week. Well, no. See, here's the thing. Like, yeah, they're going to they're gonna get their keisters kicked on Sunday. I, I understand that. And I'm predicting a big Kansas City win. But I think at least you want to you see encouraging things that Nick Sirianni, it shows that Nick Sirianni does know how to do this job 
rather than doesn't know how to do this job. Um, he can't go any further th- down than what he went this past. Like it would be, it would be have to be something unforeseen for him to do a worse job coaching against Kansas City than he get, did against Dallas. It would have to be epically unforeseen. So I think he can only go up at this point. Results aside. Maybe he won't run the ball at all this week. I mean, well, if he was that yeah. scared of the Dallas offense, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's got to be terrified of Patrick Mahomes. But Fine, uh-huh. then the key is to, to, to control the clock. Right. They had, 10, they had 10 less minutes of time of possession. And in the first half, see, and then that's another thing. Like, if you look at the stats, the stats are inflated. Like, Jalen threw for 300 yards, inflated. No, he didn't he, play well. He had a 66% or something like that, pat, inflated. Um, all infl- and it was only 10 less minute. Frankly, it was more than that because in the first half, there was a point li- towards the end of the second quarter where they only had the ball for a few minutes. Control the clock. You know what I mean? If you're that terrified of the Dallas offense, keep the ball out of their hands. Now, let's go over to the Sixers, Dave. Media Day the other day, were, were you at Media Day? I was day? not at Media Day, but I was watching it uh, from afar. Oh, that seems like a Dave Uram event. Well, I, I, I was watching it on, on their, uh, their, their stream. Uh, I was watching it on my phone. Okay. Uh, it was very entertaining, by the way. It was probably the most entertaining press, string of press conferences you're ever going to see. Did you like the back and forth with Howard and uh, Glenn Rivers, I always, as he calls them? I, all, while, while some may roll their eyes at stuff that Howard does, I always enjoy a Howard Eskin back and forth with a sports figure in town. I always enjoy it. Mike has a question for you real quick before we get more into it. Dave, did you happen to be watching the part where Aaron Henry briefly went to the podium? I, You know, I turned away. When, with ah. all due respect to Aaron Her- Henry, I, tur- <laughs> I, I turned away briefly at that point. My favorite moment of the whole uh, day was there's a sequence in there. The first question, they go, uh, all right, you know, we see somebody have their, has their hand raised oh, on Zoom. Oh, Jackson Frank, right. And he said, no, no, with all due respect. Uh, and he, uh, he, he didn't say all due respect. He's just like, oh, no, my question's for the other guys. <laughs> no, I, Oof, I did see that. that. Hurts. I did. Jackson Frank, who covers basketball, is a good basketball reporter. He, was on, he wasn't there. He wasn't physically there. Because okay. there were so, some, some reporters were there through Zoom. Um, the Sixers also held it through Zoom on the media day. Um, and I guess the people who were there obviously had first crack. But then when Aaron Henry was up, I guess there was an opportunity for the folks on Zoom to be able to ask questions. But Jackson Frank had his hand up from the person who spoke previously, which I believe was Joel. Right. Right. Hey. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's that's So something. Jackson, uh, and totally understandable because, you know, we're all fatigued by Zoom and, and all the remote methods that we've had to deal with over the past year and a half. Jackson left his hand up. It's unfortunate. So the Sixers called on Jackson to ask Aaron Henry a question, because I guess nobody in the room was. Uh, and Jackson said, I actually had my hand up for the previous. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't know Jackson, but I feel like at that point, man, you just got to come. You just got to go go off. Go go off the cuff there and ask the kids something. You know, Jackson come Frank's on. a good sport because last season when it's like it, playing for Izzo at Michigan State. Last, come on, man. last season, and Mike, you probably remember this. Last season when everything was on Zoom, um, and all the reporters were now sometimes at home games. There were reporters there at the home games, and Keith Pompey, of course, travels to every game. But Jackson Frank, I think, was remote the entire season. Okay. So one after one game, uh, they go to Jackson, and it's his turn to ask Doc Rivers a question. And Jackson, wherever he was, was in, was, was in his bed. So Jackson's starting to ask a question. What? And, and Doc Rivers goes, Jackson, are you in your bed right now? 
Wow. Not <laughs> no, great moments. No, 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 for no. But, if he took it, but he took it in stride. You're, you're he, really ripping no, this no, no, guy, I'm not Dave. ripping him. No, Jeez. I know. Well, I'm complimenting Jackson for the fact that he <laughs> doesn't he, sound like No, it. he got called. It was, it was a hilarious moment. Um, and I even asked, ja- I asked Jackson because I was able to access the, the, the recording of the Zoom because um, I was able to do that last season. Hopefully, I'll be able to do it this season. I asked Jackson, are you okay if I post this on, on Twitter? Mm-hmm. And he was, totally fi- he was totally fine with it. Okay. Well, hey, there, there, there you go. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I do need to see video of this. I feel, feel bad for Aaron Henry, though. This is, whatever. I felt so bad for him. He'll be fine. <laughs> just, you know, just, just ask him, what was it like to play, play, play for Izzo or something like that? But as for the Sixers, Dave, what did you make of media day? What was the most interesting takeaway from you? Obviously, Maury, Rivers, Embiid all spoke. What, what did you find the most interesting? I think Embiid's candid nature, that he once been here, but he's disappointed, not in Ben, but in the situation that that stood out to me. Another thing that stood out to me is is when Rivers started to to reference, you know, handling of the fans and stuff like that. That stood out to me. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway of 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 everything with the Seventy Sixers, and it and it stems from the athletic reporting yesterday, as well as reporting from Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer, is that. Maybe as much as Ben Simmons was upset with the Game 7 post-game remarks or the fan reaction to him, however much it may be that he's upset by that, is that he, he doesn't want to play with Joel anymore, which to, which to me is the, the biggest takeaway from this whole mess. It's that regardless of what the 76ers did or didn't do, in the end, this is Ben. This is Ben. This is Ben saying he wants to be the guy, according to reports from The Athletic and The Ringer, is that he wants to be, he doesn't think it is best for him to play with Joel Embiid anymore. And my reaction to that is, you committed a five-year extension worth, help me out here, Mike, $177 million, something around there. He's got four years, about 147 left on that extension. He committed to playing with Joel Embiid. And what's disappointing to me, Dave, and and you you sent me that ringer piece, and I I, I appreciate it. I read it, it was it was a really good piece by Kevin O'Connor. But you know, my theory on the whole Ben thing now is that this was always the plan. Like I honestly believe now this was always the play. Was he's going to sign that max extension, and then the first time he gets an opportunity to get out, he was going to take it. And I don't think he threw the series or anything, no. but. Obviously, things didn't go down the way he wanted them to. I think he decided, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. And I think, in a way, this was always in his back, in the back of his mind that this would be the play. Do you disagree with that? It's the, I, I don't know if I necessarily thought that. I feel like when somebody commits to a team for five years, they, they want to. Now, did I ever think that maybe Ben would want to go play elsewhere? Sure. I figured that, you know, maybe he would, but not within the con, not with four years left on the. But in the NBA, like you have to, and and the NBA makes a lot of this, brings a lot of this on themselves because the way it's structured, like he can't just go into free agency and get a similar deal. Like to get that kind of money, you have to resign with your current team. I guess so. Yeah, and and but I'm not going to blame the NBA for a player suddenly deciding that that he doesn't think he can play with another superstar. Right. And here's the thing. So 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 I'm guessing I'm guessing is is that. Ben doesn't want to play with any star because if he doesn't want to play with, if he doesn't think playing with Embiid is good for his game, 
what, playing with LeBron's going to be good for his, for his game? Right. Play, playing with another star's? So, you know what? Okay. Uh, I still think that the 76ers should hold their ground because they have the leverage. They, 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 they uh, have him under contract. I don't think they should cave. I really don't. I stand by that. Uh, I think I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see how Tyrese Maxey does in the starting point guard role. If he does stay there, apparently on day one of training camp, he was getting, he was, he was going with the ones. So, Hey, look, I'm intrigued to see how a 20, remember 20 year old Tyrese Maxey, Ben is young. He's 25. Tyrese is 20. I'm intrigued to see how Tyrese does in that position. And I would not cave to Ben Simmons. Um, but here's here's the thing. This is and this it, it concludes my reaction to Ben. If he does eventually get traded to a place where he is the guy, is he going to shoot the ball? Is right. he going to take jump shots? Is he going to make his free throws? Is he going to draw fouls? Or is he going to be the Ben Simmons that we've seen with the 76ers where he does not become aggressive enough? Um, and if his reason for not being aggressive enough is because Joel Embiid's on the floor. Uh, ben Simmons had a wide-open dunk, and Joel Embiid was at the top of the key, right? Ben Simmons has opportunity, had opportunities to shoot the ball and be an aggressive playmaker, and he didn't do it. So, I'm, I, I, you know, this is, this is unprecedented, at least in recent Philadelphia sports. Like, T.O. was bad. Like, I remember the T.O. thing. That was bad. When T.O. came back in 06 on the Cowboys, he got booed. This is going to triple that oh, when Ben's going to be triple insane. that at least when Ben Simmons comes back. There's going to be chance of Simmons. A word that I'm not going to say. It starts with an, an S and ends. It, it sucks. Yes. it's okay, Dave. Right. I'll say it. For okay, you. don't worry. There's going to be those chance. Yeah, there's going to be shoot the ball, Ben. Ben can't shoot. Uh, if he's on the line when when they have the frosty freeze out, oh my goodness, the you know the decibel level in Wells Fargo is going to be through the roof. And if Ben Simmons uh, is able to fulfill that promotion for the Sixers, that place is going to go bonkers. Ben has no idea in terms of booing fan reaction what's going to come to him when he returns to Philadelphia. Well, one more on the Sixers before we briefly do the Phillies, Dave. But do you think there's any, like? What if Maury doesn't trade him? Like, do you think there's any chance that he caves and comes back and once again suits up in a Sixers uniform? I, I, I think it's possible. That's the big question. How much does he love basketball? He's willing to clearly have the risk of taking fines because he hasn't shown up so far. But how much does he love basketball? Is he willing to sit out an entire season? That's that's or more. That's a big. I don't think that question has been answered. And I'm intrigued to see the answer to that question. So as of now, I can see Ben coming back because I'm willing to believe that he loves basketball enough to, to say, you know, at some point, but, you know, I just want to play. We'll see where it goes. I just, I just want to play. And, and real quickly on the Phillies, Dave, disappointing loss last night. You knew going down to Atlanta two and a half back, they pretty much need to sweep that series. Do you think it's over at this point? Is the NL East lost? Even if the Phillies win the next two get to within a game and a half going to that final weekend, do you think this thing's over? I think it's all but officially over. Because if, if the Braves sweep, that's it. They're they're done. But if the Phillies take at least one, they're still mathematically in it. Um, forget the fact that I don't see the Mets beating Atlanta in Atlanta on the last weekend of the season. I don't I don't see the Phillies doing well down in Miami. They never do well down there. So, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, if they would have gone into the Miami series off of a sweep of Atlanta, then I could see them overcoming that hurdle that they've had in the past. But now I, I think it's all but official, officially over. 
Um, who knows? Maybe they win the last two and give themselves a hope going into Miami, but I, I don't see them making the playoffs. Honestly, a big question I have at this point, are they going to have a winning record? Who but, cares about that? I could care less see, if they I, have a winning record. Well, I, I, hear, I hear you, but, but they still don't. They need to win one game to have a winning record. And, you know, last season they had a chance. No, not last season. I'll tell you no, what. Gabe, Gabe's final season, they had a chance to have a winning record, and they lost on the last day of the season. If Middleton comes out at his end-of-the-year press conference, which has been disastrous the last two years, if he comes out and, and, and brags about them being 83-79, and 79, I'm going to lose my mind. Like I could give, I don't give a damn about getting over five hundred. I don't think he'll do that. I, I, really, I think he I, will. I think a bigger question is whether he'll bring back Girardi, which I think he will. I, I, I do think he will too. All right. Well, uh, what do you have coming up this morning on KYW? Dave? Reaction to last night's frustrating Phillies loss: Girardi, Wheeler, Brad Miller. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised Bryce didn't speak after last night's game, but it's really hard to criticize Bryce Harper these days. Brad Miller, Miller was a strange choice. Right? Yeah, you know, like I looked at like usually when they when a player is picked, it's usually because the player does decent or is part of a controversial big. But Miller really wasn't involved in Pretty it. Inconsequential. He got, he, got, yeah. he got hit for in the ninth inning, didn't he? Yeah, so, they banged for him. Yeah. So anyway, Brad Miller said in terms of the offense not doing well last night, that's baseball. But he says they got to win out. So you're going to hear from them. Uh, Ben Simmons fiasco. We're going to talk about the athletic reporting, the ringer reporting. Uh, Doc's non-reaction to all this reporting. He didn't have a reaction. Uh, And Merrill Reese at 7.15. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. That's Dave Uram, KYW News Radio. We'll talk to Dave next week. Um, And uh, appreciate Dave hopping on for a few minutes. Thanks for coming on. Kansas City. Oh, yeah, your prediction. 35-20, Kansas City. Wow. You know what? that, That wouldn't be that bad. If they lose by 15, 15 yeah, honestly, I'm expecting it to be a hell of a lot worse than that. I, I I think Patrick Mahomes could put up 50 if he wants to this week. What if Andy wins with like a 50 to 10 pass rate, pass run ratio? <laughs> that could happen. Uh, I think Andy might throw the, but he might, he's going to unleash Mahomes this week. Not that he doesn't every week, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's probably not going to be very good. No. Uh, 215-592-9494. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk a little more about the Phillies because I wanted to touch on where I think they really lost this division. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Soler, the batter, here's the first pitch to him. And a swing and a liner over the head of Galvis. It's down the left field line. And it's going to score two runs. Soler turns first, and the throw into second now gets by Segura. Miller backs it up. Soler with a two-run single. And the Braves strike first. They lead it two to nothing. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. That was Scott Fransky with the call right here on 94 WIP on Tuesday night. Um, If you're just getting up, talked about the Phillies a little bit in the 2 o'clock hour, but uh, if you're just waking up now, the Phillies lose game one of this very, very critical three-game series to the Braves in Atlanta on Tuesday night. And it was a frustrating game. Um, Phil's had an opportunity early on, really in the first inning. They they get Odubel Herrera, Gene Segura, back-to-back singles start the game out. And... You know, uh, you're thinking right there, okay, you get on the board early, you get a little lead for Zach Wheeler, and we'll be in business here. But Philly's unable to score right there. And I I think most Phillies fans probably had the same reaction I had, which was right when that happened, I'm like, they're going to lose this game. Like, you don't take advantage of that opportunity in a big spot. They're not going to win this game, and the Phillies went silent the rest of the night. Uh, Solaire, you just hear with that single, Phils do get a run in the ninth, thanks to a, a bad error in the outfield, but um, it doesn't end up mattering, and they lose 2-1. to one. Freddie Galvis strikes out to end the game. But what's, what's important there is the guy who got that hit, Jorge Solaire, a guy who the Braves acquired at the trade deadline. And when you really look, and we'll look at many spots in terms of where this season was lost for the Phillies, and obviously not taking advantage of the week's schedule, second half of the season was a killer. I mean, when you get swept in Arizona, when you lose two of three at Pittsburgh, when you lose three of four at home to Colorado, like they're obviously going to kill you. Yeah, you know, it never really felt like they lost this though. It just felt like it was there the whole time, and they just never really pushed to to grab it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But I think a lot of the reason why they weren't able to grab it is because of what happened at the trade deadline, and like uh, the the difference in what the Braves did at the trade deadline compared to what the Phillies did at the trade deadline. It ended up being the difference in who won this division. And that is what's really frustrating to me, where if the Phillies were just a little more aggressive, they really could have gotten this thing done. And, you know, Dave Dombrowski said it at the time. This was Dave Dombrowski uh, days before the trade deadline. It was during one of his Tuesday night visits with Scott uh, on Phillies on deck. And here's what Dave Dombrowski had to say at the time about the NL East. We are only 500, a game above 500. We're only three and a half games out of first place. And we're also in a position where the club that's ahead of us and right behind us, I don't think any of them are overwhelming. But let's just say we were in the West right now Mm -hmm. of the National League. We'd probably have a different thought process at this point. But we can win our division. And they could have. You know, they really could have with some aggressive trades, some aggressive move making, but they decided not to do that. And Phillies, the move they do end up making this Texas deal where they get 
Kyle Gibson, who's been up and down, was better at first, has kind of faltered uh, the last few starts out. They get Ian Kennedy. Who, Ian Kennedy's been bad. I mean, let's face it. He just he's blown too many opportunities. And they got Hans Kraus, who is a minor leaguer. I don't know. He's an interesting guy to watch. You were you were boots on the ground, Mike. What did you think of your look at Hans Kraus on Sunday afternoon? Not impressed. The, the stuff impressed. was not. A, a, it's not like plus stuff. No, he did not look very good, and it seems like kind survived, of but just not not impressive stuff. Right, but you know. Well, the Phillies don't, made, don't forget they got Freddie too. Right, and they get Freddie Galvis, who Freddie who Galvis, has one leg. Yeah, and a, one leg and a huge at bat last night where he comes up short. While the Braves go out, they get Solaire, they get Adam Duvall, who the Phillies could have gone out and gotten him. Like you could have replaced Andrew McCutcheon in left field with Duvall. Uh, does he play center? He has played center, so he could play center against right-handers, which you, is something they struggled with because both Oduble and Janko from Lanko. How about how about the, Janko from Lanko? How about the fact that we were talking in in April from the first day of the season about the center field situation? They never addressed it. They never addressed it, and like Oduble was better than Roman Quinn and, and Hazley were, but like this is a spot where you could have upgraded at the deadline. And they just chose not to do it. And here was Dombrowski at the time, you know, raving about this Texas trade they made. Well, we were very happy. I mean, you know, with what we accomplished, we think we made ourselves better now. Uh, we think we also are in a position where for next year we have another starting pitcher that we are in our rotation, which is helpful. Um, you know, we, we traded some young arms, but we also got a couple of young arms back today, not only with this deal, but uh, – the Pirates deal, we like Ogle's arm a great deal. And part of the key for us, if we were going to trade a guy like Spencer Howard, we wanted to get an arm back, and we like Hans Cross a lot, to, a lot actually. So we think he's very good, a very quality prospect. So we're really happy with what took place. We think it gives us a chance to win, a little better chance to win based upon what we did. And, of course, we got to take care of it on the field. But uh, you know, it gives us that uh, three established starting pitchers now we're still hopeful Eflin will be back and think he will be relatively soon. And we'll have to piecemeal. Hopefully Vince steps up and uh, helps us out in that regard. I'm not sure what we're going to do um, at this point in the fifth spot. Um, that'll be up to Joe. I'm not sure who's going to get that other start at this point. But uh, we think we're better. And that's the thing. They knew at the time they didn't do enough. Like, when you're still saying after the trade deadline, yeah, we hope Vince steps up. And we don't know what's going to happen with the fifth spot. You could have done more. And Dabrowski said it was a winnable division. You know, the Eflin thing was frustrating because the Phillies knew that if Zach Eflin didn't come back, they were screwed. And here was Dombrowski pretty much talking about uh, the fact that they needed Zach Eflin. Uh, well, I think the I do still remain optimistic that he's going to come back. I do that. But I think we needed to get a starting pitcher. Um, to help us. Now, I'm, I'm hopeful that Zach comes back because otherwise he just replaces Zach, right? But I, I'm hopeful in, within two to three weeks, um, he'll be, Zach will be back and all of a sudden we can be running four established starting pitchers out there that are successful, that have been successful at the big league level and then fill in on that fifth spot. And as you notice, I'm sure looking at our schedule that uh, coming up, you know, 10 days from now or so, that Monday, the Mondays are off for an extended period. So you can kind of play with that. But I think it was important. I think it was really, for me, I think it was really important if we're going to compete to try to win our division. If you're only throwing two established starters out there, 
that 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 makes it really tough. I think it can piecemeal a lot of things together. Or actually, our bullpen's pitched pretty well lately. When we're ahead, we we really are in a good spot in that regard. But if you're trying to piecemeal three spots together, that's really hard. So I think having three established guys and hopefully a fourth one very quickly. And you know, Vinny's just you know he's a veteran status. Hopefully, he'll step up and pitch a little better for us on a consistent basis. And like you can hear right there. He knew they didn't do enough when, again, when you're talking about Vinny, you're talking Vinny about, the vet. and he's talking about the bullpen pitching well at the time. Yeah, it was. You know why? Because you had Ranger Suarez in your bullpen. That was why the bullpen was good. And I, we called it at the time where, okay, well, now you're going to have to move Suarez. And what happened? Which has worked out, though. It, it worked out for the starters, but it significantly weakened the bullpen. You know, like a lot of these blown saves that you've had. I mean, maybe you don't have those if you still have Ranger back there where you can use him in in, in different spots. I and mean, he's been great as a starter, no doubt. But I feel like for this team, he would have been more valuable as a, you know, Swiss Army knife bullpen piece, especially when Kennedy started to struggle. You know, I actually I have no regrets with them doing it. It, it worked out, on you know, every fifth day because you basically gave him a chance to win every every time out there. And now, too... You go into 22 and you finally have a left-hander in your rotation that you can count on. Like, I don't know when the last time... Like, the Phillies can now go to camp knowing Ranger Suarez will be in their rotation. I agree with that. But but say, like, if they had gone out and gotten another starter. Like, if they had gotten another, mm-hmm. you know, legit 3-4-ish guy and you could have had that luxury, you know, that would have been that would have been huge for this team. And it all goes back to the same point, whether, you know, and, and again, like you're, you're right. Suarez as a starter has worked out pretty damn well. And the rotation for next year actually doesn't look bad if Eflin does come back healthy. Um, but they, they should have, they needed to do more. The TH rate, not getting him. What's TH rate? Tyler Anderson. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, G- T- Gabe, when he, when he was a giant, he called him TA. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, and you see around baseball, you can make these kind of moves to change your team. And and the St. Louis Cardinals right now, are they still on this winning streak? They wrapped it up tonight. They lost tonight? No, they they, they oh. I'm sorry, they wrapped up the the wild card tonight with another win, number 17. 17 now. Yep. And they were they were kind of it was curious at the deadline because they seemed totally out of it, yet they made moves to bolster their team. They went out, they got John Lester, they got Jay Happ, and these were guys who you'd think the Phillies could have been in the mix for. I would have loved to, them to go out and get a Jay Happ at the deadline. Oh my God, Lester would have been great. Just a, you know, a guy that gives you five, six innings every start, and you know it's you'll at least be within two, three runs. Right. And you know, here was one of their star players, Paul Goldschmidt, talking about what's been the key to their success. Something flipped the switch for you guys. You have any idea what it was that got you guys back on track and put you on this road? No, I mean, I think it started even before winning 17 in a row. I think right around the trade deadline, having guys like Lester and J-Hap come in, and, you know, we saw McFarland and Garcia tonight, you know, kind of stabilized the entire team, the starting rotation, the bullpen, allowed, you know, everyone really to, to be better and kind of slide into, you know, a little bit different but better role. And, and then we were able to be consistent really these last two months. And, you know, you see it there. You t- what you do at the deadline can significantly change your team. And, and that's the most frustrating part of this season to me, is that this was a winnable division on July 30th. The Phillies had decisions to make, 
And for all of what John Middleton says, and I know we've talked about it a ton, it's all a bunch of crap. Like it is. It's all a bunch of crap as far as how much he wants to win. Could have made moves. You could have gone out and made yourselves the favorites in this division, and you decided not to do it. The Braves did more than you, and in my mind, that's going to end up being the difference. They went out at the trade deadline and got guys who legitimately could help them. They filled the needs needs that were there after Acuna got hurt, and the Phillies, they, they didn't improve. Why? Because they wanted to stay under the luxury tax. And... You know, they can say that's not the reality of it. The reality of, but that that's the reality of what it is, is they wanted to stay under the tax, um, as our buddy Coach Judge would say. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, when we get back, we'll do our WIP fantasy update coming up next. Why not? Um, we'll see how our show fared this week, and I got to call out somebody in the league for making disrespectful trade. I mean, what does he think I am? Some kind of some kind of an idiot here? Thinks I'm uh, I'm not knowledgeable in the in the sport of football? Hey, my my past track record, I guess, would lend uh, to believe that. But uh, we'll 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 give you an update coming up. Next. And somebody who's three zero is who's already chirping in the message board. See oh this? yeah, I did see that. This guy, He's so full of himself. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another couple segments here before we talk to Al for the Overlap Show. Man, it's uh, it, it. I don't want to overreact, but felt like we had a good thing going for a little bit. Like it, starting with the 2017 Eagles, we had a fun few years. Obviously, some down seasons here and there, but I don't know. I feel like we we could be entering back into a dark period here. Um, Phillies ten years no playoffs. Sixers seem to have taken a dramatic step back. The whole Ben Simmons fiasco. Um, major dose of reality with the Eagles. Flyers are expected to, you know, hopefully be a little better this year, but they're not going to be like a cup contending team. So I don't know. I'm a little worried we're we're going into a, a pretty dark time here in Philadelphia sports. But uh, don't worry about it because we got our WIP fantasy update for you, which I know everybody uh, is tuned in for. Um, Mike, how did you do in week three of our uh, WIP fantasy league? Back in the win column. You are. Yep. Defeated the Bagman. Okay. What was the final in that one? Oh, it it wasn't close. Let's see. It was. Uh, I think it's the right. Wow, that's a that's a subtle shot right there. One nineteen to seventy five. Oh, low scoring affair. Yeah. I had a barn burner with ESP in which I was victorious. One forty to one thirty five. This got close because he got a lot of garbage time points from Jalen Hurts. Um, he had Jalen Hurts in this one. Got a lot of late, you know. Uh, oh, it was Hurts versus Prescott. Yeah, it was. It was Hurts for and Hurts outscored Prescott, which really tells you how dumb fantasy football can be sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody watched that game would tell you Jalen Hurts played a better game than Dak Prescott did. Uh, but he did outscore him in fantasy. Yet I hung on for the one forty to one thirty five win. Man, DJ Moore's been great for me. What a pick that is turning out to be. A mid round steal for me. Uh, from Carolina, and I don't know, Mike. Uh, my squad's not looking bad. Yeah, I mean, I, you're not even uh, mentioning and highlighting your uh, your top scorer, who was one of Coach's Ju- Coach Judge's guys, right? Saquon, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, he figured he'd get going. Little credit to Coach Judge, right? No, no credit to Coach Judge. He's the one that calls plays for him. By right? the way, I was just reading during the break. He is. This is a real coach off here. He is considering firing Coach Garrett. Whoa. And said if the offense doesn't improve, he might have to make radical changes. So <laughs> that's a heck of a thing. Well, I I want to make sure he actually did say that. That would be a heck of a thing for him to just come out and say. Um, but what, what makes Garrett you unsure of if he said it? Well, I was just I, I read a tweet from Zach Rosenblatt who covers the Giants. I'm not sure if that was him editorializing and taking the gist of what Coach Judge said. We would never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. Actually uh, said that himself. But, Mike, you got to admit at this point, this Giants team, pretty bad. I mean, they lose to a team that the Eagles beat by 26. Yeah, I mean, uh, seems like another lost year for them. Yeah. Do you you still think Coach Judge gets another season? I do, yeah. Okay. All right. You want to go back to fantasy, though? Well, yeah, let's go back to the fantasy. Sorry. Uh or let's get back to the uh, the that would be a new thing. Let's get back to the Giants. Yeah. And, uh, um. Yeah. Who'd you beat? I beat uh, Elliot. Oh right. Yeah. Because it hurts. And then, all right. So only one undefeated team left now. Of course, it's Joe. De, uh, I think it's the camera, right? It's not Jelio. No, it's yeah, Joe the camera. It's camera. He sent. Yeah, he sent that message. And he posted the hammer. Th- yeah, of course, it's the hammer three and L. Which okay. Like I, I have more rings in this league than. 
you know, oh, Vinny wow. wins right now, so we don't need we don't need three and zero. Wow. Okay. Well, I matched my win total from last year, so yeah, I'm, I'm, that. I'm happy about that. Um, we're headed in the right direction. And uh, speaking of that midday show, which uh, John Ritchie proposed a really f- <laughs> insulting trade to me, you're telling me because like I have Dak, so I'm obviously set at the quarterback position. Uh, I have Daryl Henderson from uh, the Rams, the running back. You know, nice player, nothing, nothing outstanding, but a little banged up right now. He offers me Derek Carr for him. It's like, what do I need Derek Carr for? I have a quarterback. What am I going to trade? What do you think? I'm an idiot, Richie? I'm going <laughs> to trade for a backup quarterback? Get out of here with that nonsense. That was insulting. You what know, do you- is he think I I don't know anything about about fantasy football? Well, maybe is he? I mean, obviously. They have reason to think so, but you know, you know, athletes like <laughs> yeah, how they look sure. down at like non-athletes. Yeah, is it maybe it was that? I played football. I, I played football in high school. I mean, like, I mean, what are you, you know, talking pro. about? A non-athlete. Well, I don't look athletic. Don't, do don't, don't do the Fritz act. Though. No, you're no, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I, I, I am not uh, extremely athletic or anything, but that was. I, I thought that was disrespectful. I didn't appreciate it. So, what do you think of uh, last week? I, you know, I did well, and um, I'm, I'm going to basically fade the Eagles' offense. So last week I picked up the, the Cowboys. This week I just picked up the Chiefs. You did? Yeah. There you go. Uh, well, that – that. What, what do you mean you picked up their offense? No, I'm fading the Eagles' offense. So, I like, last week I, oh, I played oh, the Cowboys. Okay. This week I'm playing the Chiefs. Gotcha. Defense. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. Interesting strategy. We'll see if it uh, – if it works out for you. So far, so good. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Um, we'll kind of recap things we've been talking about when we get back. Uh, and I did want to get to a few other loose ends as well. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another couple minutes here. Time to squeeze in a few calls if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Mike, we're only a couple days away from um, the Many Saints of Newark debut on HBO Max, which I know you're very excited about. That's right. said it's getting good reviews, so... Uh, that that's for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about the the Sopranos prequel movie. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to that on Friday. Me too. Got my got my Friday night lined up. Very exciting life I, I lead these days. Actually, having people over for it. <laughs> really nice, yeah. nice. Um, that sounds like a, sounds like a good time. So you you enjoy yourself uh, <laughs> this this week. But uh, if you're just getting up, um, get you uh, squared away with everything that happened last night. A very frustrating performance from the Phillies as they lose to the Braves 2-1 to one in a critical game. And, and you really knew once they lost on Sunday, the Braves won on Sunday, find themselves two and a half back, they need to sweep this series. You know, taking two or three, it's just, it's not, it's not enough to get it done at this point. You, that would only put you a game and a half back on in the final weekend. I mean, the Phillies essentially now need to win out the rest of the way. So they have two against the Braves in Atlanta and then three against the Marlins in Miami. We know how much the Phillies struggle when they go to Miami. And they would need to go 5-0. and And I guess they'd need the Braves to go 2-3. and Or 2-4, and I guess, actually. Because uh, they, they have that game with Colorado on Monday. Um following the end of the season uh so the makeup game from a couple weeks ago so uh it's looking pretty dim at this point fills it swept they'd have put themselves in a real good position but uh unable to do it and this is why this is why you can't squander the opportunities that they squandered this year and you know there are three series in particular that i really look at and I think are going to be the ones where we look and say, this is where the season was lost. The series right after the trade deadline, where you're in Pittsburgh against a horrible Pirates team and you lose to a three. I mean, that's one right away that you look at and you say, that one killed you. Um, The series in Arizona, where you get swept by the worst team in baseball. Um... The series a couple weeks ago where you lose three of four at home to Colorado and even the series where you lose two of three to Miami on Labor Day weekend where you're up in one of those games late and a blown save. And those are the games against those bad teams that are really going to come back and haunt you because it doesn't leave you any room for error now. And when you look at what happened on on Tuesday night, Phillies had, uh, had a chance early where... They have Zach Wheeler on the mound. Start the game. You get back-to-back base hits. Odubel Herrera, Gene Segura, both uh, hard-hit balls, too, uh, to start out the game. And then Bryce Harper, a ground out, and beats it out to first base, so not a double play. JT Realmuto kills you in that spot, though. Terrible bat, uh, strikes out. Brad Miller grounds out. And at that point, I think it was pretty, pretty evident that it just wasn't going to be their night. And you can know with the Phillies very early. And um, Wheeler pitched well. I mean, he only really made a mistake or two in the third inning, gave up two runs. 
Um, but other than that, he was fantastic. Uh, but the Phillies unable to get anything going offensively. They score a run in the ninth. Uh, not enough, though, and they lose, and now their backs are really up against the wall. And barring a miracle, uh, they will miss the playoffs for the 10th consecutive year. Now, one move in the ninth, and Mike, I'm wondering your thoughts on this. And I guess we, we talked about it a little bit off the air, but the Phillies have recalled Alec Bohm for this series, and they end up sending Freddie Galvis to the plate in that spot. Would you have hit with Bohm there? I saw a lot of people, um, well, maybe not a lot, but some people speculating that maybe you should have pinch hit Alec Bohm there. Did you have a problem with him letting Freddie hit because he's been on such a cold streak lately? Yeah, I mean, take your pick, either Freddie or Didi. Yeah. And Didi against the lefty. But, you know, the manager was saving him for in case the ninth spot came up. So he was saving him for in case they they weren't, you know, already, you know, in case they didn't lose. Right, which that doesn't make a lot of sense. I actually didn't have a problem with him not hitting for Didi, even though it was a lefty, because... You like his experience? And, well, he, he's been swinging the bat better lately. He hit a homer off a lefty the other night. And do you know how his swing has kind of... Uh, do you know why his swing has kind of um, improved a little bit recently? Did you hear this over the weekend? No. Didi after one of the games last week, uh, went back out on the field and he was taking work from the curveball machine. Ah, nice. And the curveball machine seems to have helped him out. And, you know, he hit a homer the next night against the Pirates, uh, against the lefty, Shreve. Um, and, uh, you know, the the curveball machine seemed to be working for Didi. Uh, hit a ball hard, uh, but but couldn't, couldn't get it out of the ballpark. Uh, and then... You know, I guess some managers have more conviction than others. Right. And I think part of the point with Bohm, too, and why I didn't really have a problem with Girardi not hitting him in that spot is because the guy hasn't taken hasn't major league. Him to know what he looks like. Yeah. Right. He hasn't taken major league at bats. But you brought this up earlier, and we were talking back and forth, and I think it's a good point, is part of the reason you can't hit him there is because you gave up on him. Right. And it's like, what was the, what's was what been the point of... of not having Alec Bohm up here and playing Freddie Galvis because Freddie Galvis, I mean, let's face it, nice guy can't really play anymore. Right? No, like, it's pretty like you go back and look. Like it's it's pretty astonishing that this team's going to play the final six weeks of the season without Reese Hoskins, and somehow Reese Hoskins getting hurt, they simultaneously ran out of space for Alec Bohm to occupy a roster spot. Yeah, like, like that just that, how that seems impossible to have happened, but it did. Yeah, I think, you know, when the plan initially was to play Bohm at first base, then I think they realized very quickly, well, he's just as bad a first baseman as he is a third baseman, and they didn't want him you, out. Like, you field. wanted to see him, though. Like, you wanted to, like, see him hit and, like, see if he could, you know, showing life getting out of the, the slump, and he had a really good June, I thought, pretty good July. And it's like, if you wanted to send him down for a couple weeks, that's one thing. I wouldn't have left him down as well, long as Well, he, he got hurt when he went down there. Right, well, yeah, that's that, no, that's true. I forgot about that, but... Yeah, uh, frustrating. Apparently, the Phillies did make a hire. They hired Preston Mattingly, which that I don't know. That sounds to me like a a, a baseball front office guy name. I mean, I, I on the name alone, I kind of like him. Uh, but he will apparently be their new farm director, previously with the San Diego Padres. Um, which I don't know how I feel about that considering the Padres, to bolster their rotation, just had to bring in Jake the Snake and Vinny Velasquez. <laughs> so this is the farm system that this guy, Mattingly, has been, uh, has been overseeing. 
And now, what if his first order of business is to come in and, well, I guess he's not the GM or anything, but uh, I was going to say bring back Vince Velasquez. But <laughs> I guess he wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the Phillies. They'll be back at it tonight. Aaron Nola on the mound. And I can already get, if, if the Phillies had won last night, I bet you Nola would have gotten rocked. But now I think Nola will pitch a gem just to annoy all of us. Why, now, would, now that, we would t- why would that annoy That would only annoy you because you're your Nola agenda. Well, no, it's not an agenda. It's it's a fact. But now that this no, now the season's over, he'll pitch well. Like if if this game actually meant something, well, it still he, does. He you know he'd blow it. It still does though. I mean mathematically, but like in, in Aaron Nola's head, like it's a big game, you know, right? I guess I th- I don't think he's going to be feeling as much pressure as he would have been feeling if it was a real really a big game. You know, if they, if if they had. One last night, I think he'd be feeling a little more of the heat. But so, do you think uh, so? If they if Nola loses tomorrow, does Gibson feel the heat or no? That's not a big game either. I I don't think it's a big game either way. Now I just don't. <laughs> I don't think I I don't think they have any big games uh, the rest of the way unless you know. Talk to me on Saturday. If, if they if somehow they're a half game out going into Saturday. Then that'll be a big game for the Wheeler. bullpen game. <laughs> I can see you roll rolling your eyes with my uh, with my uh, jumping through hoops here. But uh, hey, uh, Dave Dombrowski's excited. Oh yeah, he sounded very fired exci- up. Yeah, yeah, he sounded very excited. Uh, you if you you can play that if you want to. Okay. Um, was this Dombrowski from Phillies on Deck on? Uh... Yeah, his Tuesday appearance. Okay. Uh, yeah, he didn't sound too fired up or enthusiastic about the series. What is your excitement level like as you come to Atlanta for a game like this? Well, I'm excited. I mean, we're here at the last week of the season, six games to play, and we're still in a pennant race, so a divisional race, however you want to put it. So I'm excited to be here. <laughs> sounds like it. Uh, but it sounds like he's more excited that it's the last week of the season. Right. Yeah, that's what he's really excited for. Um, but uh, that's the Phillies as they uh, play out the string now over the next couple of days. Um, if anybody cares, I mean, I could care less about them getting to 500 i i that, that or getting over 500 uh that doesn't mean anything to me so if they're gonna miss the playoffs i kind of want them to not get it just yeah, so I agree. you can keep saying like oh this is now year 11 without a winning season because if, if they have a winning season miss the playoffs what's the point yeah when you ram said well now i'm really interested to see if they get over 500 it's like why who cares they're not going to the playoffs um but uh we'll see how they play tonight um, we'll keep an eye on the Sixers as we played you a little sound earlier, uh, Ben Simmons and Hey, it seems at this point, like the Sixers are willing to stand their ground. I think that's what they should do. Um, I don't think at this point trading Ben Simmons, uh, is in the best interest of the organization. Um, and you know, if you're not getting uh, a player or a package that you think is going to help you. Uh, I just don't think that's the right way to go about it. And it seems like Daryl Morey is content uh, to let this situation play out for the time being. Um, Ben Simmons now apparently doesn't want to come back because he doesn't want to play with Joel Embiid, not because of the comments he made, but because of, you know, on-court fit issues, which is just the latest excuse for why Ben Simmons wants out of town. But we'll monitor that. And then obviously the Eagles coming up with the Chiefs this week. Make sure you're tuned in this morning. I will certainly be tuned in at 7.30 when Coach Nick Sirianni joins Angelo and the morning team. Um, And I'm interested to hear what Sirianni has to say after that 
performance on Monday night. Um, obviously, a lot of people still very unhappy about that. Uh, and a real tough test coming up this week. Road certainly doesn't get any easier with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes coming into town. So uh, stay tuned for that coming up. I will be back on Thursday night following Phillies baseball uh, till 2 a.m. So I will talk to you then. Thanks to Mike Angelina for producing right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.